Yeah, I don't know why it's on both our ends. Usually it's me. <laughs> I, I think it's the recorder because I felt that before when I did the test. So, yeah, don't worry about it. You can always just beef it up afterwards. I do it all the time. I usually have to do it on me. Sometimes I'm, you know, back and forth. It's no big deal. That's what the post edits are. That's why they're paying the ass. <laughs> okay, let's go. The Weird Scene Inside the Gold Mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Tonight, a girl I've liked for a long time, Miss Sandra Bullock, on the new and improved Third Eye Cinema Weird Scenes Network, now on Podbean. Welcome to of the 13th season of Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell, join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Mr. Lewis Paul, as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. So, tonight, Sandra Annette Bullock was born on July 26, 1964, in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., to a German opera singer and daughter of a rocket scientist. Believe it or not, yeah. and an Alabama career military man who, perhaps surprisingly, was also a voice coach. A military brat, she spent her youth in Nuremberg, Vienna, and Salzburg before returning to attend school in Virginia and North Carolina, and a bid for stardom right here in New York City. As lucky in her rise to prominence as she was unlucky in love, she broke into the big time with the one-two punch of Keanu Reeves' turn-to-action hero, Speed, and the Sylvester Stallone Wesley Snipes sci-fi action epic Demolition Man, before starting her own production company and breaking both records and hearts with big hits like Miss Congeniality, While You Were Sleeping, and the Hugh Grant starring Two Weeks Notice. But problems in her personal life took her out of the spotlight and slowed her relentless run of box office smashes until a surprise comeback with the Ryan Reynolds and Betty White, Opus, The Proposal, Pensive Keanu Reeves Reunion, The Lake House, The Likeable All-Female Ocean's 8, and the recent Channing Tatum slash Brad Pitt comedy adventure, The Lost City. So join us as we take on the queen of the rom-com and Hollywood power player, Sandra Bullock, only here on Weird Scenes. So yeah, like I said, Sandra is a long-time thing. My, I was really dug her from the days of not so much speed, although I did come to love that. She's very uh, enjoyable there, and it's a, it's a decent movie for what it is. Mm. And, you know, I've, Demolition Man has been a thing for me since, God knows, since it came out, really. I know, I saw it in HBO. I've quoted it many, many times on this show. You go back to listen to Ed I Level with Matt. I quote it constantly. It's not just amusing and fun, and she's lovable, and Sly's great, and Leslie's great, and, you know, even Dennis Leary is great, and it's applicable to just life in general, philosophically, especially for somebody like me. I'm not a libertarian, but I am very much a laissez-faire Jeffersonian in most respects. And that really kind of says it all about where, you know, the problems with, especially at the time, brand new, the political correctness thing and, you know, that overreach there. Of course, nowadays we've got problems on the other side that are much worse. But even so, most of what that film said is completely applicable to this day. And like I said, my wife came down and she was a fan as well. So we started watching all things that I hadn't watched, all these rom-coms and things. Mm -hmm. Some of them I've only seen in recent years. I mean, like very recent, like, you know, two or three years ago. But most of them, at least the rom-coms, are extremely enjoyable. She's very likable. A lot of her co-stars who often I really don't care for in other things were also very likable in her films. And some of them... Yeah, not to cut you off, but yeah, it's like there's a a lot of her romantic comedies... Uh, the foils for guys, I'm like, uh Yeah, right, exactly. But it, it kind of clicked. 
So it just really worked. And, and which is just, surprising. Yeah, which is surprising. Because, you know, some of these, yes, she was the producer, whatever the hell else, or executive producer, but not all of them. I mean, she was just in the film. So why they work so well, I mean, you can put it down to the scripts, but as you'll see, a lot of these directors, especially this week and next time when we do uh, Jennifer Lopez, yes. are just one-off people. I mean, they literally did one film and disappeared, or maybe they were a script writer that never did movies before and never again, or they did maybe you know one or two more films that were obscure that nobody yeah, really heard of. Yeah, it's funny. Her and Jennifer Lopez do share something similar, is that they have so many likable films that nobody knew about, and so yes. many really enjoyable movies, and that's why we're doing these guys, actually, and I wanted to say about Sandra is that Sandra Bullock is that uh, for me, although she's not from Brooklyn, <laughs> she reminded me so much of girls I knew from Brooklyn, ladies I knew from Brooklyn growing up. And because um, she has a tough exterior. And a soft interior. And, yeah, and a soft interior. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. She reminds me so much of my wife, especially when you get something cute like Demolition Man. But even so, in any of these films almost, it's like, Jesus, that's just like my wife. Because you know, she's like basically the Sunderay character. And she comes off really cute sometimes, but then she has this really hard-bitten edge where she's not going to take any shit. But then you know, somehow the romantic thing always gets to her, and then you see the soft side. And it's like, wow, that's really nice. I, I like that. You know, yeah. so obviously, I'm married, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> so, I do, I do. Yeah. So where were we starting? Well, let's see. I also didn't mention she attended high school in Virginia and was a cheerleader, believe oh. it or not, and got a major in drama before the usual struggling actor stick here in the big city. Of course, I mentioned she was largely brought up in Central Europe. She's a native speaker of German, and as you might expect from growing up in Nuremberg, Vienna, and Salzburg under an opera singer and a vocal coach, she has a background in both opera and ballet, and I believe she's a dual citizen of both of those countries, you know, Germany and the USA. After doing some off-Broadway theater, she got tapped for the failed spin-off pilot for a new bionic woman show, a bionic showdown, wound up boffing and or marrying several co-stars like that loser Tate Donovan from Love Potion Number 9, uh, Matthew, yeah, yeah, McConaughey, football hero Troy Aikman, and most infamously, some dirty white trash biker type who used to fuck one of the last porn stars I had a thing for, until I was with a girl who looked just like her for a year or so, Janine Lindemalder, which is interesting because halfway through Janine's career, if not sooner, she went exclusively lesbian, so I don't know what the deal was with the two of them. Naturally, of course, despite everyone's bafflement at this whole relationship and warning her about about it things went south and it turned out that this guy was screwing around on sandy oh that never happens with trailer trash right there were also stalkers both male and female and one of the two more serious males actually broke in while she was there in the house and she had to barricade herself in a locked room slasher movie style holy shit (laughs) she broke into the big time with the one two punch of speed and demolition man like i said she started her own production company run by her her father and her little sister and produced not only several of her own pictures including miscongeniality but the george lopez show and opened two restaurants don't ask me about that she got a whole shitload of awards and accolades along the way inclusive of silly stuff like you know woman of the year most beautiful woman most powerful actress in hollywood world's most influential people a bunch of golden globes oscars people's choice and bafta nods and more than a few wins along the way but who really cares about that shit she remains something of a power player and even three decades on from her early successes she's proved that she can still pull off a decent and funny rom-com lead in late career films like the repulsal in the lost city so, yeah, I was going to start off right from the start, believe it or not, with 1987's Hangman, 
which I'm sure you didn't say. Yeah, oh no, okay, so that's going to precede her TV performance, which in research, I saw it listed and mentioned, but I don't remember it all. The Bionic Showdown? Oh, I do. We have it on the set, that's why, because we got the Bionic Woman sets, the $6 million man set years ago. You are a sick man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I grew up on the Bionic Woman, and my wife loves those shows, those cheesy like, 70 shows like Charlie's Angels and uh, really? Wonder Woman and the Bionic Woman. Yeah, she loves that shit. Besides all the UK stuff that we watch, you mm-hmm. know, from Warnings and Dark Shadows and stuff like that, yes. that's what we watch. We watch that shit all the time. We've seen them many, many times over, all the way through. Oh. So, I remember anyway. Hangman. Let's, yeah, let's go to that. So, Hangman, even before her amazing performance as a wheelchair-bound girl turned Olympic runner, seriously, in Bionic Show Now, Sandy starred in this stinker from no-name director Jay Christian Ingvordsen. Remember those cheap-ass Canadian lens movies that used to fill the airwaves of USA Network back in the late 80s and early 90s? The stuff that was too cheap, boring, and lame to even show up on Skinamax or HBO. All drab cinematography. You know, if they weren't shot on video, they must have been shot on 16mm and blown up. The visuals are pure shit. And the sub-tech war action. Remember the show that Shatner supposedly wrote? Mm. Well, this is another one of those. It's so lame, it makes Lorenzo Lamas' Renegade series look like a work of art. Mm-hmm. It's some bullshit about a CIA agent under fire from a rival cell group, trying to connect with his estranged son from a former marriage. They kill the ex-wife and husband, chase after the son, and kidnap the son's girlfriend, Bullock, who's in this for a sum total of five minutes of screen time. She smokes a joint. You don't see her again for 20 minutes. She answers the phone while brushing her teeth. You don't see her again for 20 minutes. They kidnap her. You don't see her again for 20 minutes. There's a short scene with the two of them tied up. You don't see her again for the rest of the film. Everybody had to start somewhere, but yeah, this one makes her next effort look like pure genius. <laughs> I yeah, I remember seeing this. You know, this is uh, the dawn of the you know the highlight the VHS age, and this this was one of those big box rentals. And of course, I rented that, and and I was like, is this a Swedish film? No, it's not. It's, you know, you couldn't tell early days of, of video. You couldn't tell where things were actually made. Yeah, and this guy, well, he's probably the Swedish director. Who the hell knows? But I think it was... Works any, I think so. <laughs> yeah, or oh, yeah, or that, or, or you know, but it turned out to be a Canadian picture, and uh, it was okay. It was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> it's watchable. It's just junk. It, isn't that a Tom Clancy novel adaptation? <laughs> it's not, but it's, but it, but it's, uh, it's, it's similar. Yeah, she does one around this time. No, she, but, does, yeah. she does one a couple of years later, yes. So anyway, after that masterpiece, Bionic Showdown. It's two years later, I believe. <laughs> this massive nostalgia turd bomb comes from television journeyman Alan G. Levi, one of a string of similar fare of the era, like the three or four Incredible Hulk TV reunion films, Return to Gilligan's Island, and a handful of Six Million Dollar Man and Bionic Woman films, of which it is one. This one is actually the worst of them, mostly because they're only a sideline in the proceedings. Actually intended as a pilot for a spin-off series around Bullock's character, Sandy's performance here was so bitter and off-putting, it ensured no sane producer would ever allow such a thing to be greenlit. Beyond the expected cast of Lee Majors, Lindsay Wagner, Richard Anderson, and Martin E. Brooks, Majors tags in his no-talent son, Junior, who's only in this as a plot device to get Anderson's Oscar to quit the OSI and get scouted by the commies, kicking off the real plot of this one. Sandy's a wheelchair-bound cripple, who I believe used to be a former track star, who gets the bionic treatment and is sent to compete in a renamed Olympics so that they can suss out a mole in the agency. It's actually going to be a real shocker for Bullock fans because she's quite unlikable here and simply doesn't have, at least in this stage of her career, the dramatic heft to pull this off. Mm. How anyone thought they could build a new bionic woman series out of her is beyond me, at least seen after how she comes off here. 
Of course, given the shit show of a remake they had pulled two decades later, Sandra Bullock would have done a much better job. So it's always relative when we say something made before the mid-90s sucks, because anything released these days makes the worst thing we cover on the show look like a masterwork for the ages by comparison. <laughs> so what's your take? No, I didn't see it. And it was only in researching this that I saw it happen. Yeah, I forgot about it. I'd seen it and I forgot about it. Yeah, I didn't see it because I didn't know it existed. <laughs> yeah, good choice to avoid it. <laughs> no, but, but, but now you make me curious, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> it's so um, bad, but yeah. <laughs> I'd like to see these $6 million man things again. It, it's, it's you know why they play them a lot on TV channels like Cozy and Decades? It's really crappy things that you can get on satellite TV. Mm. And they constantly, it's like, you know, Channel 41 or, you know, 9-2 or whatever. Uh, and they constantly play old shows like this. I mean, I saw Emergency the other day. I mean, weird shit. It's funny how old things from, from those days play better. Yes. Now... It's true. Back then. Not everything, mind you. Oh, not everything. I found something last night that I only heard of I never saw in my life, and now I know why. What was it? Did you ever see Julie Newmar in Living Doll? Yes, I did. Oh, my God. Bob Cummings, I remembered him because, first of all, he put a book on how he stays young, which is funny because he looks like an old man to me. But, you know, he did things like, oh, yeah, you know, take certain vitamin supplements and take some DNA, RNA pills, which actually were good. It's like a brewer's yeast thing. And it does, you know, help out your looks and whatever the hell else, I guess, a little bit. It helps with your skin. But he was also on this couple of shows back in the 50s. Like, I think it was like Love That Bob or something where yeah, he was a yeah. photographer and he would date these supposedly glamorous women that really weren't. They're kind of blowsy in 50s. But... <laughs> He's in this fucking show that I had never seen in my life until last night. We just kind of stumbled across. I couldn't find anything on streaming. I'm like, all right, I'll just put something on for five minutes. And I was like, what the hell? Numar's in it, which I knew. I saw her picture there. I was like, I got to see this. What the hell is this? And she comes out. She's basically supposed to be a robot, kind of like that stupid ex machina that uh, Vicander yeah, was in from the Vep. Yeah. And she's walking around. She's got really bad feet. You got to see her scary feet when she's walking around barefoot. Yeah, big feet. Yeah. Well, not just big. They're like awkward. They're like really, really defined. But anyway, she's a beautiful woman. Everybody knows Julie Newmar Catwoman. It's before she got that role. Probably the first thing she ever did in, you know, acting, at least on TV. And she's there and she's supposed to be, you know, the original like construct robot woman. I guess they're making off from Metropolis at that time. But, you know, later on you see stuff like I mentioned, like Ex Machina or whatever. And being a robot, she goes, you know, the, the creator does wants this Cummings to find her or some shit because he doesn't want to be found out that he let the AI creation out. Then he goes off for some reason to, I don't know, Yugoslavia or something. He says, okay, take care of her for me, you know. So Cummings gets this grand idea while he's trying to hide this robot girl who's like wandering the streets and everything and everybody's laughing at him because she's running around like a basic bath towel, you know, barefoot in the middle of the street. And he brings her in. He's like, you know what? I could test that theory of mine because she could be the perfect woman who does what she's told and keeps her mouth shut. And I'm like, what the fuck am I watching? This is 1964. You think it was from the 50s or something. And besides that, she has to repeat the line. And you could see when she's doing these scenes, you see the look on her face. You, see, you hear the sarcasm in her voice. You know she is fucking pissed about delivering this line and being in the show. Mm. But I guess she had to do it for her career. She has to go further like she did. And it's just like I'm watching this. And my wife's there. I'm like... I can't believe this exists. I was like, I gotta see the rest of this series. I, you know, I've heard of it before, but I'd never seen it. So yeah, it's a piece of work. Yeah, Bob, well, Bob Cummings always been an enigma to me. You know, he he went over to uh, Europe. He did a couple of uh, Euro spy type things. Really? Which ones? Oh, one with Dan Durier, Christopher Lee, George Raft. Oh my God, Five Golden Dragons. Holy shit, that's him! I have that. Yes, that's a good one. 
It's a good one. It's a good one. He, I he think did, it's actually on Blu-ray. Yeah, he did one or two others, but he always struck me as a uh, don't strike me down. Like a Rock Hudson sort. Like Yeah, but not as attractive. You know, like, okay, Rock no, is gay, but you know, I mean, he didn't like, have that manliness. He was just kind of like, like a goofy Maybe, maybe Bob guy. was not like swinging the bat the other, the other way. <laughs> he just seems like an old 50s drunk, and he comes off, especially in this one, you know, love that Bob's whatever, it's of its time, yeah. I don't care. He's like, likeable enough, I guess. Here I'm like, Holy shit, this guy's such a... I mean, you would think that all these maggot fucks that are, like, trying to, like, you know, ban all the books in schools and everything, this is what they want. But doesn't... But no, but doesn't it make sense that if the guy was theoretically gay, they put him in a role like that where he's got this this woman who's going to do things that he says and does, which is very interesting. Well, I mean, it makes for a great porno, but, I mean, it's just like, really? That's where we're going here? <laughs> There is a great porno, actually. It's French. Oh, really? Was it Pussy Talking? <laughs> um, same director, La Femme Object. Oh, I've heard that one. Yeah, I've never seen it, though. <laughs> same same story, too, by the way. French erotica is always far superior to the stuff you get over here, folks, if you have a chance. We mentioned it in our French cult show, French Lees and all that, when we're talking about films like Max Picus and things, and Gerard Kikouin, and uh, there's a couple of people, Pallardy, Jean-Marie Pallardy. Yeah, yeah. It was actually one of those... I was surprised a couple of years back, uh, Vinegar Syndrome, when they were doing their partner labels, mm-hmm. put that out and said, I saw this in the theater on the deuce. I got to get this. <laughs> yeah, I have a couple of releases from years ago from Le Chaque Fume, which is a French label that had, uh, mm. they were putting out some of this stuff with English subtitles. There's stuff like that. I know uh, Roland did a couple. I liked, uh, was it not back, was it back in Osexuel? The one Fly Me the French Way? Yes. That was really good. My wife liked that one, so that says something. <laughs> you know, I'm the, not going to no. <laughs> There's some good stuff there. So, uh, yeah, if you're ever interested in really getting a turn on and not just watching somebody fuck away like some skank, yeah. you might want to watch some old French uh, Le, Le Femme Object is pretty much the same story as, as the TV show where you're describing. So it's yeah. uh, very interesting. So anyway, that was a, one of our usual detours. We detoured. Sorry, folks. <laughs> so Sandy has a couple more things that were just straight to video. Uh, Fool and His Money, also known as Religion Incorporated. Who Shot Patakango, which I wonder another name as well. I don't remember. And then she does Love Potion Number Nine, which is the first of her rom coms. You do very badly with women. There are no women here. Are you a boy kissy boy? Excuse me? Are you a homosexual? And Bancroft of Gorilla at Large continues the long, long career slump she hit after playing Mrs. Robinson in The Graduate as a fortune teller who gives hapless pop-eyed horse-toothed dork Tate Donovan of the Don Johnson vs. MAGA epic Dead Bang and Murder at 1600 from our Wesley Snipes show, the pheromone-heightening plot device of the titular 60s novelty hit. Hi, can I buy you a drink? Why did you think I'd be interested in you? Did I look at you or smile at you? Did I flirt with you in any way? Are you somebody special? Do you do something really interesting? What do you do for a living? I'm a biochemist. Do I look like a biochemist groupie? Look at your clothes and then look at mine. Do you see any kind of difference here? I drove a BMW. What about you? Despite being a total loser, he can't even bag incredibly nerdy and socially awkward co-worker Bullock, much less the savage, if not much above average, gold-digging bitch who thinks she's a whole hell of a lot better catching she actually is of the aforementioned exchange. After analyzing said potion, which his cat gets into and winds up attracting a horde of female cats thereafter, hmm. both he and Bullock wind up becoming magnets to the opposite sex. While Bullock winds up glamming up only to get engaged to her sleazy boyfriend from the start of the picture, 
Donovan pulls a reverse cock tease on the now horny bitch he slammed him earlier and takes full advantage of his newfound sex appeal with a number of attractive women, mostly blondes of a rather 80s vibe, which reminded me why I used to like blondes. He still wants Sandy most, and when he discovers her sleazebag yuppie fiancé has also been partaking of the potion, he tries to save her from marrying the guy despite nobody believing him, and Sid Malfeasant doing his level best to keep Donovan away from her before he can seal the deal. There's a whole side plot where a call girl Donovan's pals bought him also takes the potion and winds up taking his pals for all they're worth. A big final wedding chaos sequence where the potion causes everyone to chase after that hooker. You get the idea. It's fun if in retrospect rather manipulative take on the song that winds up smacking of the whole Bill Cosby thing, but Sandy and the inherent Evie sex comedy vibe of the whole affair tender it a lot more harmless and amusing than you might think. If you can believe this, Donovan and Bullock were actually a thing around the time of this film, though it doesn't look like he outlasted it by very long. She really does have terrible taste in men. No wonder she's so good at rom-coms. It was okay. Uh, it, it's, it wasn't horrible. I, I yeah. was, uh, having maybe seen it on cable way back when, and, and uh, like HBO, remember the, back in the day, that was the only <laughs> thing around. Yep. All the show was slashers and these kind of sex comedies. Yeah, so when I saw it again for the show, I was like, oh my god, I did see this. <laughs> I completely <laughs> forgot about it. And uh, I, I enjoyed her performance. I actually surprised how, how how good she was back, you know. Right at the beginning of her career, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, pretty much beginning of her career. Doing research for the show like you did, she really had bad taste. <laughs> I mean, okay, okay, y'all, you, you make a movie, you, bet you bang your co-star. Where do we get the Jennifer Lopez, folks? <laughs> Speaking of which. Yeah, but we're going to be kind with that one, though, because it's not, it's not her fault. You know, it's just, things happen. Things happen, yeah. And she, I think she finally found what she wanted, so we're good now. <laughs> Unlike Sandy. And, and I think Ben found what he wanted, too, because the yes. guy stopped drinking, I hope. Yeah, no, we think. We're hoping things are good now. But, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. So, anyway, no, it's it, it was... It was okay for me. Um, you described it much better. I, I, I can't really go into depth on this one because I thought it was a bit of a fluffy matter. But it's yeah, right. it is. It's it's very slight in among her rom coms, even though it's a fun one. It's not that right. right. So, 1993, The Vanishing. Yeah. Wow. Why did you contact me? Because you asked. The way you search for Diane, a worthy opponent, a kindred spirit. You don't come across many of those men who refuse to be dominated. Most just give up and crouch in the dark. Jeff Bridges of Thunderbolt and Lightfoot, Stay Hungry, and Winter Kills from our Clint Eastwood, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Tony Perkins shows, which is coming up, is a weird college professor who, after saving someone's life from drowning, decides in a rather Nietzschean manner that he should experiment with the opposite. Talking like a live-action Kermit the Frog in a deadpan monotone throughout, you're never sure whether to laugh at his ridiculous choice of accent or to marvel at the icy monster his oddly affectless character is revealed to be. He fixes up a cabin in the woods and spends so much time away from his wife and daughter that both of them are positive he's getting a piece on the side, which the daughter, by the way, is perfectly fine with as she recognizes her mother's a dowdy, complete bitch. As he fails to pick up a number of women on the street, we cut to Bullock's only time on screen as she has a fight with boyfriend Kiefer Sutherland of no notable credits. He was in the earlier discussed Time to Kill, half of the terrible English dub for Armitage 3 Polymatrix, and Marmaduke. That's about the best this guy gets. Oh, no, no. Dark City. I didn't even see that one. Otherwise, I don't remember. Excellent. Um, and 24 of the series. I like you. During a vacation, and when they stop off at a truck stop to take a piss, she disappears. The cops could give a shit, thinking she walked out after a lover's quarrel, and the guy turns into a broken drunk. 
sort of likable if unspectacular Nancy Travis of the following year's So I Married an Axe Murderer is a waitress who's too worried to let him drive home loaded and poof they're in a relationship. But he's understandably still obsessed with whatever happened to Bullock, despite hiding it from Travis. While she threatens to break up with him over it, Bridges sees one of the missing flyers Sutherland is still plastering the streets with, and the film finally kicks into gear a good hour into the proceedings. We devoted a whole show to his father, but Kiefer is as one note as ever, save perhaps his big breakdown scene with Bridges in a desolate truck stop towards the denouement of the film, and even that shows him to be a real beta of a nonsensible lead. Bullock and Travis are far more engaging, even in effective bit parts here, than Sutherland could ever prove himself capable of, and his lion's share of the screen time leaves the film feeling rudderless until Bridges, or either the female leads, take the screen again. He really sucks at this. You don't care anymore if she's alive or dead, you're just afraid that without the search, you won't know who you are. And with that surprisingly dead-on assessment of why so many fools define themselves by their job and family roles, rather than being able to stand on their own two existential feet and know themselves, this surprisingly terse crust between a Hitchcockian, or at least a Palma-esque, thriller, and something far more banal and unpleasant like a lifetime drama, shows its hand as being more of a Sadian, if not Machiavellian, manipulative thriller. Bridges isn't just some typical serial killer working out personal trauma on unrelated innocence. He's a true monster. A scientific torturer playing God with people's lives for sheer experimentation to see what results. A concentration camp doctor or the leads in Mirbeau's torture garden deriving some sick sense of power, if not pleasure, out of destroying other people's lives. He's very blatantly doing this for the impact on the survivors as much as the thrill of taking a life and living an ostensibly normal beard of a marriage and family life while doing so. Ultimately, Bullock's barely in it, and Travis can't decide whether to come off as likable and surprisingly capable. She single-handedly tracks Bridges down, for example, turns the tables on him, and effectively saves Beta Boy Sutherland's life. She's actually the action hero of the piece, believe it or not. Or strident and annoying. While it's totally understandable she's pisses inability to let go of Bullock, the girl got kidnapped or vanished into thin air right after a big argument. You can't get much more traumatic of a surprise and still unresolved loss than that. And she just comes off as a complete bitch for a good 10 or 15 minutes of the film there. Bridges would be the other choice for heavyweight here, but not only is his character equally baited to Sutherland, who he parallels in more ways than the obvious here, but that stupid hi-ho Jim Henson voice really takes away from any positives here. This one was directed by a George Sleezer, whose only other credit, none being of note, was the original Dutch version of the exact same film. Seriously. I was actually surprised the guy directed this one, considering that Travis was the only character here acting like a man and the de facto hero of the piece. Every actual male here is both obsessive and a simp, which leaves the viewer wondering about this guy in ways he never intended. Sheesh. So obviously you have a different take. What's your take? Well, I saw the George Sleezer vanishing the Dutch version a couple of years earlier, and I was like, yo, it's sort of like, uh, who's that movie? The French movie, Martyrs? Yo, and it's like, you see that, and then there was a remake of that, and it gets, you know, they, can't, they have to turn it down. because. Oh, that girl with the dragon tattoo thing? Yeah, you know, that, that whole thing there, too, when you, when you see the original, and then you see the remake, and, like, they tone things down. But I do have to mention... You don't like Kiefer Sutherland, I get that. <laughs> Lost Boys and all that. But, but no, nah, he's done some really good stuff. And and 24 alone, how many years of that was there? Really good show. You should check it out some of it. It's really good, nail-biting stuff. And he's not a bad musician. And he does weird, sick stuff. But Dark City, Dark City is a film you should really put on your list. Okay. Yeah, write it down. Like Lewis said, check out Dark City. What, what's it about? Just like an idea. Well, Dark City is uh, uh, 
Oh, this is great. I just got an email from one of the people that I copied about this asshole upstairs in case anybody can hear this horrible music. And they said, yeah, it sounds like a construction truck or heavy machinery. I wouldn't call it music. I'm glad you wrote to the manager. I hope they can do something about this. (laughs) So, yeah. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, Prius. That was his last name, the director. He did uh, Dark City. He did a couple other films. Mm-hmm. He did uh, iRobot. The, the, oh, the Will Smith one? Yeah. yeah, which wasn't terrible. But but Prius did this movie with Rufus Sewell and uh, Jennifer. Oh, my God. from uh, Jennifer Lawrence? No, no. The one from from the Argento movie. Uh, not Hudson either. <laughs> no, it's not Hudson. Good God. Can you picture her in an Argento film? What the hell are you doing? <laughs> right, anyway, What's that no, knife? That, that Get out was, of here. Anyway, so no, Dark <laughs> City is, is so twisty, brilliant film, and and it's about the oh man, I, I can't even describe it to you. Put it on your list and watch it, and okay. then you know, like one day, and then get back to me. All right, I'm curious. It's one of my favorite films ever. Anything else you want to do? More to the next film? So yes, I'm sorry. Uh, I we <laughs> both okay. tend to do this. Yes, we yeah, do. this Constantly. is like a dark movie, serial killer vibe based on the director's earlier version of the film. Um, it I, Unfortunately, while the, the original movie made some uh, notice worldwide, when the remake came, it was a little bit too much too late because, and you're right, a lot of people didn't mention Jeff Bridges' ridiculous accent. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah. I mean, he does come off very cold and calculating as persona and his body movement and whatever else. But but the fact that he's talking like this the whole time is just fucking ridiculous. But but I, I think part of it was I think part of that was either a because it's never quite quite rightly explained. He was trying to describe his voice, or maybe the director decided to portray the character with some speech impediment, which again is not explained. It doesn't even sound like a speech impediment, like he's got a lisp or something. You know, nothing weird. Or tics. You know, I had a friend who had, like, I don't know what they call it. It's not a neurotic thing, but he had a, a nerve disorder, I guess, where he would constantly, like, go, and, you know, like, push his eyeglasses back in the middle of a conversation. So I get that. This is more just like, I don't know, he's trying to be Kermit the Frog. I mean, it's almost funny, except that the guy's psychotic. So, you know, it's like this weird mix of, do I laugh? Am I afraid of this guy? What's the deal here? No, I think I think he was intending something way more different. That and failed. And it failed, <laughs> yes. Right. So next up, The Thing Called Love. Super Mario Brothers Princess Peach, Samantha Mathis, and her real-world boyfriend, River Phoenix, right before he partied for the last time with junkie John Frusciante of the lame and annoying Red Hot Chili Peppers. What the fuck was with Seattle grunge and heroin chic, anyway? (laughs) Are the headliners in this unflushable from pretentious Peter Bogdanovich, whose only notable credit is the lousy late-career Boris Karloff stinker Targets. Those two and Bullock are Nashville hopefuls. The girls wind up rooming together. Phoenix and his buddy compete for Mathis. Seriously, both guys are hot for plain Jane Samantha Mathis when Sandra Bullock is in the room the whole time. Were they blind and stupid? <laughs> and she winds up going for Phoenix, who's a fuck-up. Real shockers there. Dumb, boring, and pointless. This was Phoenix's last film before his last high at Johnny Depp's then-hot Viper Room. And nobody cares because this thing sucks so bad on every level. Once again, Sandy's barely in it. Next. I, I I I did see this again for the show. I barely made it through it. And yes. I can't remember a bunch of it. It's awful. It's fucking awful. Anyway. Next, one of your favorite films, yes. Yeah, well, it actually kind of is up there in a lot of ways. I have to admit that. It is. Demolition Man. 
We covered this still applicable dystopian sci-fi action film with a strong comedy sideline twice previously for our Sylvester Stallone and Wesley Snipes shows, but suffice to say, this has been a favorite for decades. I liked it a lot when I saw it, I got reintroduced to it when my wife came into my life, and she's also a huge Sandra Bullock fan, like I mentioned, and they also share certain endearing quirks, to be sure, like I said once before. Long story short, it's a future, quote, utopia of political correctness gone amok, where cussing is fine by automated machines, Taco Bell did a hostile takeover of any and all much better food chains, music has been replaced by commercial jingles that they call mini-songs, and everyone uses self-driving cars and couldn't have figured their way around a real one, or even deal with conflict and actual violence to save their lives. They don't know how to use toilet paper, or even fuck having replaced these with, quote, the three seashells and a sleeper-style psychedelic orgasmatron that stimulates the brain without the merging of bodies and sharing essential fluids. Yeesh. This supposed, quote, savior of society who built this horrid dystopia is a megalomaniac psycho who implanted subconscious knowledge of computers, weaponry, and such like into terrorist madman Wesley Snipes, who frames Stallone, the cop who took him down, from a civilian mass casualty bombing that he caused, leaving both of them cryogenically frozen as a weird sort of death penalty alternative, while making Stallone contrarily a real sissy who now knows how to knit and has extra issues to overcome when he's free to stop Snipes' rampage in this emasculated, conformist sheet milieu. But together with dotty but extremely lovable 20th century fangirl Bullock, they managed to take Snipes and the beloved Machiavellian leader down and get underground libertarian resistance leader Dennis Leary to help reset society for a better future. The message is still extremely apropos, particularly in light of a noticeable lack of comprehension or ability to stand up and take down an increasingly violent and fascist anti-American Republican-slash-religious right who continues to buy and manufacture propaganda and anachronistic terrorism against the rest of us and this very nation. Time to learn some actual military-style tactics and strategy for our liberals. Shit's continually hitting the fan, and the day will come when we have to not only defend ourselves in a very real and personal sense, but take these shitheads down with extreme prejudice. So, don't be hugging pillows, getting triggered by nasty people, and pretending you're a unicorn, or you'll be handing them an easy victory over freedom, human rights, and to be quite blunt, the entirety of Western civilization. I love this film. I've quoted from it and its message hundreds of times over the decades since its release on and off of all of my podcasts and platforms, and it's never gotten old or dated or less applicable and true. And yes, Sandy in the film not only won me over, but is the most like my wife here in any of her films before or since. One of my all-time mainstream-leaning favorites right up there with Conan the Barbarian, like we had mentioned. So, what's your take? No, it's, it's a fun movie. And you know what's funny? To this day, Sylvester Stallone gets a lot of shit from people who say Rocky and, and other stuff and Rambo. Yeah, like that's the only thing he ever did, please. Like those are the <laughs> only things he ever did, yeah. And and we, we we covered him quite a bit. Yes, we did a show on him. We did yeah. a show on him. And, you know, this is one of those, you know, he occasionally, he's a smart guy. He I, I would like, I haven't seen Tulsa yeah. King yet, really interested in that. He's a smart guy, and... and he knows how to play outside the box. What was interesting mm-hmm. to me is Marco Brambilia, the director, only really did commercials and advertising things before he, he was chosen to direct this film. And after watching this picture, I'm like, wow, 
How can yeah. this guy didn't work again? Or if he did, I must have missed it. Because We'll be talking to a lot of people in both of these shows that did that kind of background and walked into it. Or even those assholes like the Daniels from the, the uh, Michelle Yeoh film that we'll be talking to Jamie Lee Curtis show. Sure. And, you know, those are nowhere near this. It's like, this guy actually had talent. It was like, he came out of commercials, really? <laughs> and then where'd he go? I and mean, it just kind of disappeared after this, basically. Oh, they wouldn't call the Daniels assholes. That's good. Oh, God. That's Rob. <laughs> Come on. Ugh. Go right. ahead. I'm, I'm not going to discuss that. <laughs> we already did by the time you hear this. Uh, yeah, so no, anyway. I disagree with you then, I disagree with you now. There you go. Anyway, <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> you're allowed to do that, it's America. <laughs> no, you're not. If you're a Trump supporter, you're not. You're going right, to listen to me. No. you got to do my way and live my way. Fuck you. I'm like, okay. Anyway, so, yeah. So Yay, yeah, freedom. Stallone, Snipe, Sandra Bullock. I mean. Wasn't Jackie Chan supposed to be in this originally? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. And um, Benjamin Bratt and whatever happened to him. Yeah, and, he did uh, a couple moves. He was in his geniality. So, but then he disappears. Yeah, but I mean, recently. <laughs> yeah, nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing, yeah. Is he still alive? Who knows? <laughs> Jesse, yes. Jesse Ventura's in this. You know. Yes, the uh, wrestler turned libertarian senator. <laughs> Or governor, I forget which. He has great moments in a Schwarzenegger film called Predator. Yes, he does. And uh, horrible anyway. moments in the in Abraxas, Guardian of the Universe. Jesus <laughs> <laughs> Christ. He's such a crazy guy. Oddly enough, what you would think would be a odd team-up or versus kind of film actually works. Mm-hmm. The script is actually really good. Yep. Which I'm sure that Stallone tweaked because he can't help himself. As every anything I've ever read about or by the guy, he's like, okay, yeah, the screenwriters are these guys, and then we get on the set, I rewrite everything. <laughs> you know, but you know, if that's the case, if that's truly the case, then he did a really good fucking job. Um, we know he did that with Tango and Cash, which is a complete mess. And then after the Stallone rewrites, it's a masterpiece of sorts. Yeah, it's it's weird stuff going on with Demolition Man. It's it's. All these things you you mentioned and, and tapped on, they're all quite there. And, and amazingly, it was a hit. People really liked it. Yes. That's actually the biggest surprise to me that I filmed this good. You know, okay, yes, it's junk entertainment, but it said a lot, too. It's and not, it was a huge hit. It was a huge hit, yeah. That never happens. <laughs> that, that very rarely happens, yes, yes, yes. Interesting that they used a lot of people that are familiar faces and supporting roles, but, yes. but beyond like, that, yeah. I think it, that guy, that's the, the fat queen, that's his sidekick for the um, the megalomaniac, was actually in Beetlejuice, wasn't he? And a couple other things. Yes, he was. Yes, uh, Glenn Shadex. Yes. yes, but he died not long after that, so he didn't True. have too many films. Bob Gunton yeah. is still around, and Bob Gunton was in uh, a couple of things that we're quite familiar with, like. Can't help you. I don't remember the name. <laughs> no, no. You, he's like one of these guys you recognize his face. Yeah, that's it. There's a lot of people in the city recognized by face, but I'm like, yeah, I'm not yeah, sure who they like are. He's, he's still working. You know. Like, even if you say Glenn Shaddix, I'm like, who? But then you see his face, like, oh, that guy. Yes, yeah, that guy. Time. Like Rob Schneider's <laughs> in this, uncredited. And uh, Dan Cortese, who in the 80s showed a, a lot, lot of promise. He showed a lot of promise. And the, I don't know what happened. Who knows? It feels Where are we going next? Well, I did not see Wrestling Armist Hemingway. I don't know if you did, but next up is Speed. Let's do it. Where is he? 
He lost his head. Turn your bone head voice. Is that Keanu? No, no. Yeah, it's trying to do that stupid bone head voice they had. No, Keanu's more like ballsy in this. But yeah, playing. But this was almost straight off of Bill and Ted. He was just breaking into the stuff now, trying to expand his roles. So anyway, Sandy made her name on two films, this being the latter and most mainstream of them. She doesn't show up until a half an hour in the proceedings, though, because it's Die Hard on a bus, literally. Ridiculous and kinetic, it's an amusement park theme ride that will leave you yelling and gasping at all the insane setups and absurd yeah. close calls nonetheless. Keanu Reeves, fresh off success as Ted S. Preston Esquire, and not far removed from Slayer fanboys meet slasher drama River's Edge, is still in stoner surfer dude mode, despite a shaved jarhead crop and playing SWAT. Over the years, he's become a tad more credible, as in the later Lake House. Uh, I like the typos as Lame House, I know I didn't put that. Uh, but here... <laughs> Watch out for the lane house, yeah. But here he's still a goofy kid playing grown-up, however endearingly. It's perfectly obvious that Jan DeBont watched Die Hard way too many times, and the first half hour was wasted on a goofy setup intended to create instant excitement and build shorthand exposition, but which left me alternately drifting off and laughing in its sheer ridiculousness. Shithead Dennis Hopper, who always leaves me scratching my head over the shift from hippie icon and easy rider, which we talked in our Peter Fonda show, to the right-wing fucking inevitable movie baddie, the revisitation of that film and his role in it leaves it kind of obvious in retrospect, is a bomb squad cop turned psycho blackmailer a la Neville Brand in the police connection only a thousand times less sympathetic. See, he's pissed off because he lost a finger in the course of duty and then got let go for it. Only thing is, even if you overlook the fact that cops effectively get golden parachutes on retirement, the guy has a rather large spread in Los Angeles. I'd like to be that broke. So, after saving a bunch of yuppies from an elevator bomb ransom attempt by him, he turns up again with a bus bomb ransom attempt a year or two later, and a chip on his shoulder against Reeves, who foiled his last attempt at forcing a better retirement nest egg out of the city. Sandy is a bus passenger, because the pigs took her license away for speeding, ho ho, how ironic, and after yet another insane bunch of setups to get on the impacted bus and the paranoid bus riding gangbanger with a 44 Magnum shooting the driver for no reason whatsoever, she winds up becoming the de facto co-lead as she has to drive the out-of-control bus without decelerating below 50 miles an hour, despite all sorts of insanity, courtesy of the California Highway Commission and their failure to ever finish construction work on basic infrastructure on several accounts. Boy, they sure could have saved a lot of trouble and prevented this entire movie in situations if they just gave the guy a decent severance package and used all that taxpayer money to fund goddamn road work and construction. Ah, right-wingers. It's all ridiculously stupid in one note, with a predictable paint-by-numbers escalation after escalation just to pad the running time to keep viewers invested, but it's the biggest brain-dead throw ride this side of Total Recall, and both Keanu, who's very believably frustrated at one point when it looks like Hopper keeps winning despite everyone's best efforts, and Sandy, who seems to be prepping for her role in Demolition Man, or just came off it, as the only capable and level-headed member of the cast otherwise, are incredibly winning here. It's one of those films that I always mock before and since seeing at least three times, but which is always amusing and brings a smile to your face every time, particularly when Hopper gets decapitated, which is fucking hilarious and well-deserved, and Reeves and Bullock's final scenes, which are cute. In all honesty, you can't not like this film. Yeah, you can't not like this film. And you know what? This... <laughs> I mean, it's so, stupid, but it's great. It's stupid, but it's, it's great. I mean, yeah. you know, I saw this in the theater, and then the... I don't know, like, was it ex-wife number 1.2? You know, like, how many? Okay. She, she, she was suddenly like, who's this guy? 
<laughs> yeah, she was like one of those wives who if we saw a movie, she liked the guys like, go home and fuck me. I <clears> uh, so Tennis pressing that square, man. Get your burn. <laughs> Get that motor run. <laughs> yeah, one point two and two. Just uh, you know, for the same person too. So I mean. <laughs> but <laughs> but you know, so you mentioned Jean de Bont, and he was he was the DP. He was director of photography on the, the Die Hard one and two. So he obviously probably got this because, like, you know, he worked on Die Hard one and two, and they said, you know, what can you bring to the table? And uh, and they probably wanted to get away from John. Uh, what the hell was his name? The guy that did the, the Die Hard films. It's so crazy. <laughs> oh, John McTiernan. John McTiernan. They didn't want to deal with him again. So, like, here, we'll use you. How about that? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what the story was with that. McTiernan hasn't worked for a long time. Yeah, I think he got blackballed just because he was so wacky. <laughs> well, he got blackballed because he, I, I believe, John McTiernan got blackballed because there was a subcommittee involved in uh, dirty laundering, and, mm-hmm. and he refused to name names. And he got sent to prison. What the fuck is that? I don't think it was just about that, but yeah, you're right. Yep. Yeah, there was probably other things going on, but like he's been released, and, and now Bruce can't do another. Hard, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. yeah so. And and you know, it's like, although I could see Jason Statham do a Die Hard, it's possible, but he doesn't have the. We'll get to that later, but he doesn't have the gravitas of. Uh, or the he doesn't ability. have the gravitas, correct? Yes, yeah. I agree. Anyway, yeah, go ahead. So, do we ever do Bruce Willis? Show we did. Right? No, we didn't. We never did. <gasps> oh my god! <laughs> but then I have to deal with moonlighting, <laughs> or the return of Bruno. Just watch a few. You're good. <laughs> Anyway, so Speed is the kind of movie like it's not going to be any. You know, this is my interpretation, and I think it's going to catch up to you. Is that the movie you think will be any fun? The movie you think would be any good? And then it's like a roller coaster of, oh shit. Yeah, and especially at the time, because like I said, Keanu was just coming off of Bill and Teddy. He was a nobody dopey teenager. He was about he was, to do yeah, River's he Edge. His, he was playing this like dull kind of roles. Yeah. And it suddenly comes on like this, jacked up. Yeah, he put a whole bunch of muscle on for it. Put a whole and, and you know, I, I I believed him. Yeah, he really tried hard. He did some he scenes really like a, but like the hard. time when he broke down on the bus. It, it was, that's a lot of good that was good. St- you know, there's a lot of good stuff on this. There, there's a lot of good stuff like when he's on the bus, you get, you know, it's like yes, it's Die Hard on the bus. Hawaii, he gets on the fucking bus, and the bus is careening out of control, and you got this bus driver who's like keep trying to keep it together. Was it L.A. or something? It's a like multicultural bus. He's trying to get everybody to cooperate. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the large Mexican guy, he calls Gigantor. Yes. And the guy goes, <laughs> why you call me that? And then he realizes right away, like, oh, you know, I, I didn't mean that. You know, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. You know, like, we, we got a major fucking situation. <laughs> There's a bomb on this bus. Yeah. I, what's your name, man? You know what? I have to say, this is, for me, please don't laugh, this is one of the great action movies. It is a good one. It's a very good one. It's it's like, it totally goes, if you if anyone has never said, never saw Speed. Oh, you got it. It it's, totally goes against, you know, like, if you never saw it, okay? I'm just going to begin there. If you never saw Speed, totally goes expectations against mm-hmm. expectations. 
His um, brain did, but you're it literally, like I said, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I don't do this often unless I'm heckling a movie. I'm sitting there like, oh, my God, whoa, help, ah, shit, whoa, you know, doing that the whole time. That says a lot. I mean, okay, yes, it's dumb, yeah. but you really get invested in it. And he does a damn good job, especially for somebody just starting his career, really. And, and whole, Sandy's fantastic. Sandy's fantastic. The whole crew's, you know, Sandy's fantastic. She, she is, you know, Sandra Bullock is fantastic. They have... <laughs> Needless to say, this movie would not work without, without her. The, yeah. Um, the uh, the chemistry between the two of them, you, I guess. Thank you. The yeah. chemistry between Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's not sexual. They just like not, each other. You can tell sexual. this. It's just like it's it's supportive and it's yes. and and it's like it's like emotional, but it's not sexual. Yeah. No. It's you could tell they're like good buddies kind of a thing, and they yeah. must have been all set as well. And, and you know, good supporting cast here. You know, like Joe Morton from the Terminator films and Jeff Daniels, who we know. Mm-hmm. And Dennis Hopper, well, how did he play this? You know, he could have played it Dennis Hopper-ish, but I think he kept it in check a little bit. He did a little bit compared to something like, you know, with the Blue Velvet or whatever the hell, or yeah, that yeah, movie we true, did for the, the Eddie Murphy show, which was so terrible. He, he kind of brings it in compared to that. And there there are so many, there's a lot of recognizable people in this, but, you know, I have to say, there, I'm sure it's going to happen. There's like a lot of Keanu Reeves names, naysayers out there, you know. And No, nah, he's a lot better than you think he is. Again, I walk into this, I laugh all the time, everybody off the bus, you know, like Bill and Ted. But no, it's really, every time I watch it, I'm like, geez, that was good. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know, I like Sandy. She's, this was actually one of the films that broke her to the mainstream yes. and made her who she is, yes. along with Demolition Man, really, and then later Miss Congeniality. But still, this was really the one that everybody knows. And yet I'm watching it again. I'm like, you know, okay, yes, it's obviously a thrill ride. It always has been. It always catches you by surprise, despite how many times you've seen it. But he's actually really pretty damn good, especially for someone who's not really, he hasn't gotten the sea legs yet. I mean, I was like, you know what? He kind of pulled this one off. Yes, he's a dopey stoner kid, but he, he did it. He did it well, and they worked together very well. So. And now he's the king of action films. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> the modern-day one. How did that happen? I don't know. Well, there's nobody else left. Everybody's gotten old. I mean, you still see him in the Expendables films and stuff like that, and Statham's still plugging away and all kinds of shit, but who's left? You know, Jean Reno kind of retired. I don't know what happened to him. Oh, yeah, so. yeah, whatever happened to Jean-Claude, yeah. God knows. Well, uh, no, not just Van Damme, but I mean uh, Jean Reno from uh, Wasabi and films like that. Yeah, what happened to him, too? Yeah, exactly. That's what I think he retired. He was, All, right, he was what's next? All right, so who do I got to kill, a.k.a. me and the mob? Oh, boy. Yeah. Holy crap. You can tell you're in trouble right from the opening credits, which kick off with ridiculous, goofy music and some idiot cackling like a lunatic. Gee, I wonder if this is supposed to be a comedy. Steve Buscemi and Sandy both cameo in this unfunny shit show about a schlub writer, the guy who wrote the film and cast himself and a relative in it, so nobody named James Lorenz, who winds up joining the mob to pay the bills. Bullock shows up for all of five memorable minutes as his girlfriend, who strips down to Target's idea of a hot lingerie ensemble, giant underwear, a generic bra, and thigh highs, with the tag hanging off like a filthier mini pearl. At least they're all black. She preps for her low-class, gum-chewing Italian bimbo shtick and the astronomically superior, if still decidedly flawed, tooth by C, by grousing at him in a Lodi, New Jersey meets Queens accent about his failures as an author and how she's going to leave him while ripping his clothes off while down to a t-shirt and old man boxers anyway. Makes like she's blowing him and riding him hard, all behind a convenient desk so you're not supposed to see how ridiculously simulated it all is. 
When they finish in less than a minute, she stops grousing at him and leaves as he passes out on the floor to find the lingerie ensemble laying there spelling out, Bye. I couldn't even get through the remainder of this one, only pausing for a hot second to see a far less attractive bimbo with a leash and collar around his neck, making him bark like a dog, while his incessant voiceover that runs throughout the film goes on about how he drew the line when she broke out the wee-wee pads. Uh, yeah, sure. Real left ride here. Silence of the Hams was highbrow compared to this. The bullock scene is watchable enough, but it's less than five minutes and very much played for laughs that simply will never come. I guess she was harder for a paycheck. Can you believe this came after both Speed and Demolition Man? Well, I think this was a favorite to her friend. Uh, James Lorenz was one was a male lead in Frankenhooker. <laughs> Holy shit, that's really lowbrow. Okay. Yeah, James Lawrence was the male lead in Frank Hooker. I'm sure he did other films. I interviewed the guy. I can't remember. Oh, God. And I feel sorry for you for that. Uh, Tony Darrow, who plays ten- Tony Banda, was the beaver. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. And, you know, Steve Buscemi, you know, he helps out, friends. He won't. So, <laughs> the funny thing is James Lawrence plays, like, four roles in this picture. Yes. Go figure. She either knew him or just helped out as a favor. Or um, maybe she was contracted to do it before the others. I don't know. I don't know. It's a POS kind yes, of thing. Complete POS. You know, and <laughs> it's a piece of shit. Yes. So uh, <laughs> James is a friend of mine. Facebook. Sorry, James. Nobody knows about this movie. So if you happen to come across it, bless you, because you've, <laughs> you've been able to see it. But uh, I wouldn't put that on like the winning record. Like, yeah, I got to see this. Like, Oof, boy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Next. So next, while you were sleeping, yet another surprisingly good rom-com from of all people, the guy behind Jamaican bobsled team comedy Cool Runnings and the National Treasure films, John Turtletaub. Mm. Sandy is a 30-ish Lonely Hearts toll collector with a thing for some weird-looking guy who kind of looks like Harry Hamlin. When he gets mugged and pushed onto the track, she saves the guy, but he winds up in a coma. She happens to mumble her fetish for big bushy eyebrows, guys, and the nurse thinks that she's the guy's fiance. Big bush? Well, that's nice. But no, you remember Harry Hamlin from L.A. Law and the old sexiest man alive, some like really weird-looking, I think it was Greek guy, big bushy eyebrows. I'm like, what are you, crazy? Weird-looking fuck. Anyway, she happens to mumble her fetish, her big bushy eyebrows, guys, and the nurse thinks she, she's the guy's fiancé from this, which means that she's suddenly gotten in with his weird but lovable family, which includes young Frankenstein, hardcore, Outland, and Pluto Nash's Peter Boyle, and we discussed those last two in our Sean Connery and Avery Murphy shows, and Jack Jack Warden of our George Siegel show's Carbon Copy. A lot more interest builds between Sandy and the guy's brother, Bill Pullman of Spaceballs, and the surprisingly good American remake of The Grudge. But they all think she's getting married to the guy in a coma, and she's finally found the family she never had, so the expected shenanigans ensue, inclusive of the guy coming out of the coma, everyone assuming he has amnesia for not recognizing his supposed fiancé, and going right up to the wedding. Thankfully for the fans, there's a Deus Ex Machina ending where people's blind person decided two times sexiest man allows real fiance shows up and objects, leaving Bullock and Pullman to admit their feelings and go off into the sunset, despite how awkward family relations will probably turn out to be going forward. It's really good if you dig these sort of silly rom-coms, which is something that can be said about nearly every single one of these in her filmography, a surprisingly unflinching rule, in fact. So, it, it is good, believe it or not. No, I agree. It is good. I was actually surprised how which fun it was. Yeah. And uh, you got a lot of good actors. It's Bill Pullman, Peter Gallagher, Peter Boyle, et cetera, et cetera. The thing was, I think one of the reasons why he liked it so much was because 
it was a little unusual. You know, you got a setup that's, that's put forth toward you. And so, so you're kind of like, while you're watching the movie, you're like, I don't like these people. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, 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 and for that, the movie succeeds because by the, by the end of the film, you're like, well, I actually like these people. Yeah. You, know, it's, it's, you get to know them. My, yeah, it's not my kind of movie, but I actually liked it. Yeah, it's like in the beginning, they're all really abrasive and crazy and whatever else. And only Jack Warden, who does a really good job in this one, is you know somewhat likable and wise or whatever, you know, kind of the knowledgeable uncle figure. But then by the end of it, you're like, oh yeah, you know, they're all kind of sympathetic and it's it's funny. It's you know, it's a cute little film. So next up, the net. They knew everything about me. They knew what I ate, what I drank, what movies I watched. They knew where I was from. They knew what cigarettes I used to smoke. Our whole lives are on the computer, and they knew that I could be vanished, that nobody would care, and it wouldn't matter. Nearly 30 years on from this film, and it's still terrifying, not least because it reminds us that there was a time when our personal individual lives weren't so exposed to some very direct threats from rando hackers and psycho stalkers around the world who we never even met but wanted to destroy the entire life we built for ourselves just for personal gain or worse, out of jealousy and vindictiveness. Sandy is a remote work IT programmer analyst and beta tester who inadvertently runs afoul of a cyber terrorism group. Suddenly she becomes the target of seemingly random attacks, attempts on her life, and worse, identity theft. They steal her purse, they check her out of her vacation hotel, force her to sign false passport paperwork under another name just to get back into the country, sell her house out from under her, falsify police records on her, and leave threatening messages to turn over a floppy disk holding evidence which had already gotten ruined in the course of one of these attacks. They kill her only remaining confidant, a strangely halfway acceptable Dennis Miller, which is a real shift, by screwing with his hospital medical records and frame her for murder until she suckers them into downloading a homemade virus that wipes the records and magically undoes all the identity theft. Oh, if only our lives would be so much easier. And you can hear some of that just in our outro. This terse and upsetting bellwether for ever more relevant modern-day societal woes is one of a literal handful of otherwise unheard of films directed by longtime producer Erwin Winkler, who gave everything from Double Trouble, The Mechanic, Busting, and Spies, to the Rocky and Creed films. And we discussed all of those in our Elvis film show, the Bronson, Elliot Gould, Donald Sutherland, and Sylvester Stallone shows. I recall the film doing quite well at the time, and yet this film managed to really cement Bullock's rising status after Speed and Demolition Man, though it's doubtful that many remember it today. It's an uncomfortable watch, and a lot closer to reality than anyone thought back at the dawn of the internet in 1995. Oh, it's really good. Yeah, you're... You're quite right to mention Erwin Winkler because although he's primarily a producer, was primarily a producer, when he did direct a film, you know, it was kind of strange that, you know, like he would turn his direction toward something unusual like this. It's a quite good movie. Yeah, it's very powerful. And it's, uh, you watch it now and you're like, oh, really? You know. So, two if by C. Dennis Leary, comedian and social satirist of the era, parlays his earlier bullet connection from Demolition Man into a pet project of his. Writing both story and script, as well as starring in this tale of a small-time hood in his mall, and how they presumably wind up going straight, or at least catching a far higher skill of art thief. We've seen Batman Returns 12 times now. No, we've seen three different Batman movies four times each. You know what? They all sucked. Bickering away while an entire squad of cop cars are on their tail, the pair, who just boosted a Matisse somehow, managed to invade them and immediately begin screwing in the back seat, which means he loses his wallet and leaves it behind when dumping the car for a train ride. They managed to make their way to a designated handoff in a 
gorgeous Nova Scotia locale, where after a long period where they squat in some rich guy's house, trick the hoity-toity neighbor and a nosy local kid, Leary later befriends, into believing that they're house-sitting friends of the owner, attend the rich asshole party where Leary pulls a Rodney Dangerfield and Caddyshack, everyone gets busted by G-Man Yafikato of Bone across 110th Street, Drum, Truck Turner, Friday Foster, Live and Let Die, all from our exploitation, Pam Greer, and trio of Bond shows, as well as Alien, Gary Busey action film Eye of the Tiger, and the hilarious HB original This Park is Mine. That guy is something else. When Leary sees his social climbing lady friend is about to go down with him, he turns evidence and exonerates her, leading him to the neighbor's place as he was the buyer and actually has a whole hidden room full of stolen Matisse Leary managed to pull in a china shop his way into exposing. It's cute and a lot of fun, despite the comic relief trio of bumbling crick associates Leary wrote in to kill extra time or something, two fat guys and a little midget type is a cross between Arnold Stang and Joe Pesci. Sandy lays on the joysy by way of Brookline accent way too thick, but despite the obviousness of the whole affair, it's a fairly well-scripted little rom-com with an edge. Uh, it's not a huge favorite of mine. My wife introduced it to me, but I do like it. It is cute. But that was fine. I thought it was a bit over-convoluted. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, but you know what? I, I, I didn't dislike it. Uh, you know, yeah. that, that says, you know if, if I don't fucking hate something, that doesn't <laughs> It's true. That's actually very true of me. Yeah. <laughs> As you know. Yeah, if, I, if I don't fucking hate something, you know, like, I watch it, like, you know, it's okay. You know, it's like, could have been better and such and such, but I know where you're going next. Yeah. To the extent that you think something's great, you know, sometimes people will be like, yeah, I don't know, whatever. Because, you know, you're a little bit more forgiving than I am. But if I say something didn't bother me, or I'm like, yeah, it wasn't bad, chances are the people are like, wow, that was the greatest thing I ever saw in my life. Because, you know, my, my standards are a little <laughs> difficult. There's very few things I would say that. Yeah, exactly. But I know how people are. So you can just, uh, by our standards, are a lot tougher than most people, let's put it that way. <laughs> so next up, A Time to Kill. Surprisingly decent legal drama with heavy racial political overtones by, of all people, the guy who gave us the Val Kilmer and George Clooney Batman movies, DC Cab, and the similar reminder Falling Down, Joel Schumacher. Can't believe that. Matthew, yeah, yeah, McConaughey of the atrocious Jennifer Garner rom-com Ghosts of Girlfriends Past and our Whoopi Goldberg shows Boys on the Side delivers a surprisingly good lead as a young trial lawyer brought in to defend Samuel L. Jackson of our Wesley Snipes shows Mo Better Blues and Jungle Fever, our Michael Crichton shows Jurassic Park and Sphere, and our Pam Greer shows Jackie Brown after his daughter is raped and Jackson shoots and kills the perps for it. Danger Man, The Prisoner, and our Clint Eastwood shows Escape from Alcatraz, Patrick McGowan, is the literal hanging judge. The guy's name is Omar Noose, if you can believe that, who refuses to let them move the trial outside of the heart of Red State Naga territory, ensuring that they get an all-white hick jury. Kiefer Sutherland, Brat Packer, whose only role of note was doing the lousy English dub version of Armored Third's LVA series, Condensation Polynatrix, is one of the dead rapist brothers, and the local sheriff, who pulls over law clerk Bullock, beats her up and ties her to a tree with his clan pals, who've already caused a street riot outside the courthouse and blown up McConaughey's house. Daddy Donald, who we did an entire show on, is the civil rights lawyer and mentor of McConaughey, who got disbarred for getting into a dust-up of the pigs at a civil rights rally. And disgraced Harvey Weinstein slash Steven Seagal of the gay set, Kevin Spacey, is the DA using the case to further his political aspirations. 
It feels way too long, even at a comparatively breezy hour and 14 minutes, but everyone in the cast delivers strong performances, and you can't argue with the impact of seeing all the unspoken subtext about Red State America being made very surface with the clan and their pals in places of, quote, authority stacking the deck against any form of actual justice. The biggest flaw here, other than things flagging after the first 40 minutes or so, is that McConaughey and Bullock, who looks absolutely stunning here, jeez, never do anything with the sexual tension that's apparent in their scenes together. Hell, one of the side characters even comments on it, but it goes nowhere in the end. It's a decent watch if you're in the mood for illegal or race issues films, but it's ultimately just a shrug of the shoulders in the end. What's your take? My take is you got to check on your Kiefer Sutherland stuff. You, <laughs> you, yo, this whole show, you've been saying like stuff like, you got to... I have never seen him in anything like could find him even acceptable, and he's just like wood, wallpaper. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I disagree entirely. I mean, Lost Boys, I'm not a big fan of that movie, but it was good, dude. Dark. I mean, it's not like I've got a problem with him personally or anything. I don't care. It's just like well, no, every, It's like everything you keep mentioning, like, keep us all and keep us all in. I'm like, dude, the guy's got, like, a history of films, you know? All right. Sorry about that. Uh, we, we do this sometimes. Constantly, yes. We <laughs> disagree, which is why it's so popular. That's it. Yeah. So, anyway, so, yeah, we got all-star cast, Samuel L. Jackson, uh, Marvel's superhero to be Matthew McConaughey, who you're kind of iffy on, but what Marvel superhero is it gonna be? Yeah, Kevin Spacey, who uh, should be locked up. <laughs> uh, Donald Sutherland, main man. We did a show Patrick, on him. Patrick McGowan, another main man for all of us. And so I thought this was an okay movie. I'm sorry, folks. It's okay, yeah. All these t- these uh, Grisham movies which just shot out at us one after the other at a, a period of time it was like okay it's overkill and <laughs> after you know are you gonna agree or not yeah no, that's it's like, totally true yeah at some point in time you're like all right enough we get it fine let's move on <laughs> yeah yeah there was there was a period of time of like okay that's Okay, that's good. And there was a period of time, probably around then, when there was a lot of these sort of you know racial issues movies coming out, and that's fine. It's, it's good message. We kind of need to keep an eye on this shit. Yeah. But you know, how many of them do we need to see? We've seen this like twenty-seven times over already. And yeah. Yeah. Jeez. No, no, I, I get it, but it's like too little, too late. This yeah. should have came out ten years earlier. So unfortunately, this leads up to speed two. Oh God, yes. All right, speed two, cruise control, big budget cash in bomb, pun very much intended. The backstory is a whole hell of a lot more interesting than the actual film turns out to be. Apparently everyone, from first-time director Jan DeBont to Reeves and Bullock, thought that Speed was a one-off story, which it kind of was. Hopper's baddie is very much dead, he has no progeny, he didn't even have a girlfriend, nobody's there to want to avenge him, there's no real hook to hang anything on. So both leads had moved on to bigger and better things after the film's success, obviously. Of course, seeing dollar signs, Fox really wanted a sequel where Reeves and Bullock were married. And I can, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, and in a similar situation despite all of this. So they kept shoving scripts at DeBont, who was contractually obligated to do this regardless of his thoughts on the whole venture. To his credit, he did reject what they claimed to be hundreds of script ideas, and unfortunately, that's where things really take a header. Apparently, having money, his big idea for a scenario, a cruise ship disaster. Seriously? Even more ridiculously, you know how Speed was essentially diehard with Ted S. Preston Esquire and a plucky sidekick come love interest? 
John McTiernan supposedly claimed the studio stole his ideas for his original conception for Die Hard 2. So, now saddled with a reluctant director and a bad script, they tried to get Reeves and Bullock back. But unlike the Bond, they had no lock in either one of them. So Reeves said no way, and later claimed the studio publicly badmouthed him and his motivations over it to boot. Bullock also said forget it until they dangled the carrot in front of her nose. Take this job and we'll finance your pretty fucking terrible, depressing project Hope Floats, which she was producing as well as starring in. In the absence of Reeves, she wanted Matthew McConaughey in the role, but instead, what results is nigh universally considered one of the worst sequels to an ostensible franchise ever produced. I'm not kidding here, look it up. It's a boring-ass take on Juggernaut by way of folks, just with a more obnoxious American cast. A bland and quite frankly inappropriate lead in the action hero role. Who the fuck is Dacian Patrick, and why can't he even spell his name right? And by the way, we took Juggernaut and folks in Richard Harris and Tony Perkins shows. Bullock has said many times over the years that this film sucks and that Keanu was right to walk away from the script, and she was right. Chanda Bond sucks. I'm sorry. This was awful. There's no two ways about it. Go ahead. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jason Patrick was in The Lost Boys as well. Oh, God. That movie was responsible for a lot of yeah, shit. I know, I know. I, I, I mean, I'm not going to bring this up to you anymore. And so, uh, and other films, and Tamara Morrison, well, I have a tape of my drummer's sister coming down the basement where we used to jam out. I have my friends over. We're trying to watch The Lost Boys. Can, can you, like, stop it and just cut it out and go do something else? <laughs> well, Tamara was in a bunch of Australian films. He's Australian. He was a bunch of Star Wars movies. And uh, anyway, I don't know you want to go there. Uh, yeah, it just doesn't. Bo Spencer's here. I'm happy Bo Spencer got a night's part. What's wrong with this movie? Everything. Everything. Everything's wrong with it. It's not even worth going you know, to the most expensive. There's absolutely <laughs> no chemistry. Yep. Yeah, but like, it's supposed to be Keanu and Sandra. And, and you know, I get it. You know, you know what's really weird? I saw an interview with Keanu recently, and somebody said, would you do a Speed 3? And he goes, you know what? Somebody asked me. I, you know, maybe I'll think about it. Yeah, I mean, that's possible now. By the time, it was like... It's possible now, yeah. I hope to do something better than this. Who the fuck is this Jason Patrick? <laughs> Patrick, Patrick. Well, he spells it wrong, like, so... <laughs> well, we don't antiquate. Come on. But it's like... It's like... Uh, yeah, it's like... It's so bland. Widely, widely acclaimed as one of the worst sequels ever. Yeah, I mean, it's not just one or two sources. I mean, anybody. You, you look anywhere, and they're like, God, that's one of the worst movies ever made or worst sequels ever made. Hell, you know, I, I've been on a cruise ship. Yeah, me too. And, dude, and, and, and it's like, uh, yeah, this is not working. No, it's a stupid no. setting. It's a stupid film. It's just, Everything sucks. The, the lead is bland. Uh, which is unfortunate, because, like, it really did not help anybody for a while. Yes, that's for sure. So here's the carrot that they dangled in front of her nose. Hope floats. Whew. Depressing, wallowing, white trash piece of shit for the suicidal. 
She foolishly accepts what she thinks is a free makeover, only to wind up in one of those sadly ubiquitous, only for the morons, white trash, quote, talk shows. Sister Act, Hocus Pocus, Rat Race, The Wedding Player, and Catherine and Jamie, intended to sub for hairspray-turned-trash TV host Ricky Lake here. Where on syndicated TV, Bullock is slammed with the jaw-dropper that her sleazy husband, aiding the cruisers, Michael Perret, isn't just living on the dark side. He's been screwing her best buddy, desperately seeking Susan co-star, and the girl Toto wrote their biggest hit pining over, Rosanna Arquette. Bullock takes her brat kid and moves back to her Hickton home, where she's stuck living with a crazy mother and can't find a real job because she was a housewife and her old townies still hate her and want to humiliate her. She winds up effectively eating shit and working bottom-of-the-barrel crap for low pay, and is pursued by an old flame, greasy t-shirt sporting trucker trash, the seedy 90s swing revivalist Harry Connick Jr., trying and failing to branch out into film here, who her brat keeps sabotaging any chance for because she wants her cheating daddy back. Meantime, Mama heaves over, saddling Bullock with yet another child burden, a brat nephew who was living with her because, you guessed it, his parents dumped him. Class all around here. So, the kid's been whacking off to a letter Paré wrote saying that he misses Bullock and wants her back, but when the guy actually shows up, she finds out he has no interest in the kid. He's too busy getting all up inside Rosanna. And the letter was, surprise, written by dead, manipulative, busybody grandma. Sick bitch. There's one of the stupid flash-forward end scenes where Bullock, now saddled with two obnoxious bastard kids, finally agrees to bang Connick, but after all this crap, she's staying a white-trash redneck woman single mama working retail and drinking herself to death. Surprised she doesn't become a trailer park stripper or wind up at the local cat house just to make it completely true to life. Holy shit! Apparently our man Roddy McDowell, who we did a show on, is somewhere in this as well. I don't know. I don't care. I'm not even attempting rewatch of this wrist slitter. We tried sitting through it last summer, and I gave up halfway through. Bad movie veteran Forrest Whitaker, of no notable credits, actually attempts to direct, and it's no surprise that he wasn't encouraged to repeat this experiment, having a whole four credits, of which this is the third and only one anyone's ever heard of. Stay in your lane, bro. Stay in your lane. Hope floats as everything I despise in American film and TV, like a red state tract housing weepy for folks who work minimum wage jobs and get saddled with a teen pregnancy looking for stuff more miserable than their own lives to make themselves feel better by comparison. It's lifetime crossed with the Hallmark Channel, but even less appealing and without the phony de rigueur happy ending. This one should have been burned at the stake before released to the public. Uh, there's one thing I hate when you do, it's like of no notable credits. Forrest Whitaker. <laughs> was an actor who was in Good Morning Vietnam. Uh, he was in Burt. He played Charlie Bird Parker. Like I said, no notable credits. It's just bad films that people know. <laughs> he, he, he won awards for that role. He was in Downtown. He was in The Crying Game. Species. You might like. Battlefield Earth. There you go. There's a one you'd like. <laughs> no, I don't like Battlefield Earth. It was terrible. No, no, but <laughs> when you generalize like that, it just... Just it, no, I just I don't know. Sometimes it makes you feel like we're not going to be respected when you say no notable credits. People you love notable credits. Yeah, people love that Oscar winner shit. I hate it. It's crap. I, was, I talked about that last time. He's a, I've seen to him me. It's everywhere. not notable. <laughs> you have seen him everywhere. Yeah, it doesn't mean he's anything good. Yes, he is good. <laughs> I wasn't talking about his acting ability. I was saying his credits. He's nothing. No, I'm talking about his acting ability. Yeah, I'm not talking about that. I don't care. He's <laughs> nothing I would care about or want to see. And if I did see it, I hated it. So that's what I'm saying. I'm not going to argue with you. <laughs> uh, Harry Connick Jr., who I'd like. And I thought he was a lot of fun in Independence Day, the first one. <laughs> and General Lynch and uh, Roddy McDowell, Michael Perry, a lot of fun people in this. Um, 
We're talking about Hope Floats, folks. Well, it's not pretty good. It was like Sandra Bullock's movie she really wanted to make and the one that they would finance if she did speak too. It's okay. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to go do with that. That is so much more generous than I'd ever give this thing. But okay. So then she does something herself. This is a short called Making Sandwiches, God knows. But then she does Practical Magic. Now this one sounds like fun, right? Sandy and Eyes Wise Shuts, also not harder than the eyes Nicole Kidman from our Stanley Kubrick show, are sister witches a la Charmed, which it very likely inspired the existence of. There's the expected family curse which took Sandy's hubby, so she rejects magic, but Kidman is younger and embraces it, only to get slammed by the consequences when she gets with some scummy Rusky who's not only a drunk, but actually tries to kidnap them both for some reason. I don't remember, I don't care. They kill him, they get worried about being caught, they resurrect him, he tries to kill them again, they kill him a second time, his evil spirit possesses Kidman and continues to try to kill Sandy, and then the film goes completely off the rails. There's a cop who susses out something up with the Rusky disappearance, Aiden Quinn, whose only notable credit was playing the crusty police captain in Lucy Lou's Elementary. Sandy confesses, but rather than arresting them, he hangs around because he wants to fuck her, and despite the townies hating and bullying them since childhood for being witches, the ladies all join in a big ritual to exercise the Rusky's evil spirit, and there's a big happy ending where everybody loves each other. Yay, burning times! What. The. Fuck. Yeah, I like the first season of Charm, mostly for Alyssa Milano, who I had a thing for when she was doing Who's the Boss. I actually used to have a calendar for hanging on my wall. It would turn out to be arguably even more appealing as a young woman nowadays, and I'm not just referring to her looks. But like Buffy, it was profoundly stupid and wrong-headed propaganda for Wicca that proved the writers had no clue whatsoever what it, magic, and the occult per se are really about. This one doesn't even have that show's cute if dumb appeal, but that whole Rusky stick being a prime example of where this one goes so far wrong is no longer entertaining, it's simply depressing and stupid. This isn't a comedy, even a dark one like Death Becomes Her, nor is it some absurd faux-occult adventure like Charm, Buffy, or even that ridiculous Sabrina remake. It's a drama about sisters with grotty lives who can't make a go of it because the cards seem stacked against them at every turn. Not quite as bad as the abomination of desolation that is Hope Floats, but for a film you'd think would be right up my alley, it's actually unwatchable despite the ostensible occultism and fetching pair of leads. This is not one of the many Sandy films we have in our collection, nor was I moved to revisit it after a lone viewing about a year back. Talk about false advertising. Oh, and it's the only film you've ever heard of directed by Griffin Dunn, another lower-end actor turned flop director. His only notable credit was starring in American World in London. After this and Forrest Whitaker with Hope Floats, maybe actors shouldn't try directing. What's your take? <laughs> You're starting to exhaust me. Um, <laughs> I'm not even, even going to talk about Griffin Dunn. I'm like, Ugh. but no, I, I, you know, Practical Magic was okay and. I'm not going to go more on that. What's next? <laughs> Forces of nature. Don't tie yourself down. Even if you love a woman, it fades. Marriage is a prison. Ben Affleck, Daredevil, Kevin Smith film regular, and half of Ben for Mark 1 and 2, is a nebbish who's marrying his only girlfriend, a bossy and controlling Irish broad. Just about everyone in the cast rather wisely try to talk him out of it, from his grandfather to complete strangers. To me, marriage is just one big lie. I had to say, no, honey, I never noticed that 18-year-old girl with a fantastic body and halter top who delivers our paper. She can't hold a candle to you in the 30 pounds you put on since we stopped having sex. From here, the film turns into planes, trains, and automobiles gone rom-com. 
he runs into a smoking hot Sandy, decked out like a groupie and making out rather histrionically with an even seedier than usual John Doe, the man who made Exine Cervenka swear off men and wound up with Viggo Mortensen instead. She winds up sitting next to him in flight to his wedding, only to have the plane go down, forcing the now flight-shy pair to share a ride cross-country together instead. Not a cars. None. Yet. You should have called as soon as you got off the plane. Oh, why didn't I think of that when I was unconscious and bleeding from the head? We didn't even know this guy. He's Vic. Oh, great. He's Vic. He chops us up, leaves us in the woods. That's why he asked that you come along to protect me. How do you know that I'm not dangerous? <laughs> from here on out, it's a mix of incessant road disasters and standard rom-com business as the two start opening up and falling for each other despite her being a brassy party girl and trouble magnet of a free spirit and his being a whiny, uptight stick in the mud. You are a beautiful, incredible woman. You can have any guy you wanted, but you keep picking these losers. And the only thing I can think of is that you chose these guys who are intellectually inferior to you so you can control them, but still feel conveniently wounded when the relationship ends. You run around so scared that life is going to throw you this curveball that will completely shatter this crystal clear perfect existence that you created for yourself and your daytimer that you blurb your way out of feeling anything real. You have no emotions and that's why you're a shitty writer. Along the way they get arrested, relax in the furniture display at Target, join a senior citizen tour bus who love them and encourage their romance, run afoul of both his best man and maid of honor who figure he's having a fling, and push him into stripping at a gay bar for tips to fund the last leg of their extended trouble-prone road trip. So far, so amusing. The problem is that the film takes a final moment's detour into soapy melodrama and wrong-headedness. Despite the setup and the obvious conclusion for all this, Affleck chickens out in the end and leaves Bullock waiting while he goes back to his safe little world with boring Miss Bossy Pants, leaving Sandy to wander off and meet the bastard son she gave up after a teen pregnancy and play blocks with him on an open porch. Uh, yay? What the fuck? It's really no surprise that the most notable among a literal handful of credits for director Bronwyn Hughes was the tacky little kid's film Harriet the Spy, which had the further ignominy of forcing Buffy's annoying little sister, Michelle Trachtenberg, on the world. Gee, thanks, lady. More than three quarters of this one is amusing as hell and as endearing as any Sandy Bullock rom-com. So who the fuck greenlit that ending? Was there wife script editing or something? What bullshit. Excise the last 10 minutes and try to ignore the whiniest performance Ben Affleck ever delivered, and you'll have a fun little film. But the ending really sours things. I didn't see this one. Sorry. Ah, oh, it's a shame. Okay. Most of it's really good, but without an ending. Anyway, so, next up, Gunshy. She's also the producer and executive album producer on this. You don't know what you want? Well, fortunately I do. You're looking for a great piece of ass and a secret to her eternal bliss. How'd you guess? Sandy doesn't even show up for over half an hour. One full third of this turgid shit fest about Sean Penn lookalike and Natasha Richardson widower Liam Neeson as a cop so traumatized by his run-ins with the mob that he winds up neurotic and with chronic gas, I shit you not, pun intended. So, rather than letting the guy off the force given his obvious PTSD erupting into physical symptoms, they put him in another big undercover operation of mob money laundering, which introduces the second major character and story arc of this ridiculously bad film, some fat Canadian bit player named Oliver Platt, who's supposedly a half-assed Italian wise guy, constantly henpecked and emasculated by his cheap mall. This guy literally gets as much, if not more, screen time as plot as Neeson. He's got a poor supporting role at best Sandy. My little Italian can't grow a fucking tomato. You want tomatoes? You don't have to pretend to be some old world guinea. Go to the store and buy them. They got Jersey beefsteaks, 88 cents a pound. 
serious list of dialogue. There's an inordinate amount of tension paid to gardening here, both with the bone breaker and his girlfriend, and you have both bizarre idea of a good night out and turn on. Why don't you just let me take you to dinner? There's gotta be plenty of time to eat. Gotta have us a little foreplay first. I got some really sexy toys floating around here. We're gonna work all that cow shit into the mud, and then we're gonna grate it, and have you take this phallic little gizmo and plunge it into the wet soil while I follow you the seeds and sprinkle it in the holes. This is your idea of foreplay. One time and one time only, director Eric Blakeney, who? Yeah, there's a reason you never heard of him. He was a TV scriptwriter on crap like Moonlighting, Wise Guy, and probably most notably 21 Jump Street. Having done literally nothing for a full decade after that show ended, he somehow managed to write and get green with this total piece of shit and land big names Neeson and Bullock to star. Must have had blackmail material on this only explanation. Neeson, a veteran of excellent sword and sorcery epic Excalibur, the ridiculously cheesy one Crawl, and the Deadpool from a Clint Eastwood show, before turning to one of those quote, big Hollywood names who never did another film worth seeing, is pretty fucking terrible here as the aforementioned flatulent neurotic, and there's quite literally no reason whatsoever to sit through this one. Sandy does her best to bring a smidgen of life to the proceedings in the surprisingly few minutes she gets on screen, but it feels like tired shtick. She's on autopilot at best and simply isn't given much to work with, thanks to a hack scriptwriter with delusions of grandeur feeding her lines around his show. Fuck this guy, there's a reason his career went nowhere after this. What's your take? <laughs> well, it's fun to revisit early Liam Neeson film. They don't have any chemistry, and uh, Oliver Platt, you know, who was a guy who was around pretty much a lot at the time, is always fun to watch, but yeah, I didn't love this film, and I'll leave it at that. There. Didn't you say your wife had a thing for Liam Neeson or something? She did. Yes, she does. No, yeah. You know what? <laughs> yeah, we can include this. I guess I was working at a show or I was maybe on the cruise and I missed one, right? So we're looking through Netflix. And I'm like, oh, I didn't see that one. <laughs> and we're watching like 15 minutes, but it looks pretty good, decent to me. You know, like it's called Blacklight or something. And I'm like, hey, this is pretty good. You know, like about a, a Trump-type associate that's going to be targeted for and she is, for assassination. You know, Lee's, Liam's playing the good guy. And she goes, stop, I watched this. I said, I never saw this one before. Now I already saw this. Like, when? I wasn't <laughs> fucking around. It's like one of these things you watch when I wasn't here. Yeah. I'm like, damn, I want to watch this one. It looks pretty good, actually. <laughs> Make her watch Gunshy again. <laughs> No, no, she's she's very big into Liam Neeson. Actually, I'll tell you a little side story. Taken is terrific, amazing, it's great. It works. I know. Taken two is still really good. Taken three is like not so much. But she watched Taken Three the last time she went to Asia. Okay. And she came back and said, Oh, you know, I didn't see Taken Three. Oh, I did. <laughs> I said, But I want, I want to watch it. Oh, I did. <sighs> But I haven't seen it. <laughs> Watch it when you get some free time for yourself. I, I do it all the time. I was like, I don't want to see this again. I remember it. I was like, it was the last time we saw it. was like 20 years ago. How do you remember it? I'm like, oh, I remember the whole thing. Uh, oh. I don't. I, <laughs> I, I, despite the bad reviews, I want to see his Marlowe. So, okay. there's that. So anyway, 28 Days. 
The director of the Brady Bunch movie, Howard Stern's Private Parts, and our Eddie Murphy show's I Spy, a Betty Thomas, no relation to Betty Box from the Bardot show's Dr. Say, dumps this miserable shit fest in the vein of leaving Las Vegas in the center of the room and lights it on fire, daring everyone to step on it. Sandy is a reporter who's a bit too much the party girl. After fucking up her friend's wedding and joyriding and racking up a limo while loaded, she sounds like an old lady friend of mine right before I met my wife, she gets the choice of jail or rehab, where she meets assorted oddballs and goes through group therapy and a 12-step program. Yay. Of course, the man who dared to go where John Doe had been before, Viggo Mortensen, is her dope-addicted boyfriend who slips her a stash tied her over her time down on the farm, to quote the UK subs, which prolongs the already painful viewing experience. Among her fellow hardcore drunks and druggies are Diane Ladd of the Wild Angels, Chinatown, and Something Wicked This Way Comes, from our Peter Fonda, Roman Polanski, and Pam Greer shows, respectively, and Doom Patrol's likable psycho, Mr. Nobody, and the hapless pilot from our Colin Old Browncoat shows, Fire Firefly, and Serenity, Alan Tudyk. It's turgid, depressing, and if you aren't in AA or rehab yourself, why the fuck would you voluntarily put yourself through the experience? Sandy really does start complete shit when not doing rom-coms or action films, eh? People loved it for some reason. Well, it's, it's, it's fun. Because, it's fun, uh, really? <laughs> it was depressing. Well, no, it, it's, it's weirdly fun because you got Michael Caine, Benjamin Bratt, Candace Bergen, William Shatner, Ernie Hudson. And this gave a push to William Shatner because he was in that weird stage of... Are you talking Shatner's about miscongeniality? Yeah. Oh, no, this is 28 Days. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, what are you talking about? It's fun. It's miserable. Oh, I, I'm a movie ahead of you. I'm yeah, very, this is where she's in the sorry. drug program. Yeah. Or yeah, drunk. No, sorry, folks. <laughs> I was like, why did you say it's fun? Holy shit. I, I'm a movie ahead of you. No, I didn't like 28 Days. Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> so anyway. All right, so now we can go with congeniality. I was like, wow, they really threw me off there. What happened? Donald Petrie, failed actor-turned-director who also gave us the associate from our Whoopi Goldberg show, delivers one of the more entertaining and universally beloved films in Sandy's catalog. One of two films of merit to feature Benjamin Bratt, both of which pair him with Bullock, the other being Longstand's personal favorite, Demolition Man, this one once again shows Sandy as an unkempt and socially awkward type and tomboy-turned-G-man, or should that read G-woman, who's drafted to go undercover to thwart a bomb threat at the Miss America pageant analog. You know, there are many who consider the pageant to be outdated and anti-feminist. Well, I have to say, I used to be one of them. And then I came here and I realized that these women are terrific people who just want to make a difference in the world. And for me, this has been one of the most rewarding and liberating experiences of my life. William Shatner, who we did a whole show on, takes the Burt Parks role. Michael Caine, who we also did a show on, nearly steals the show as a lovable and very gay personal stylist. Ernie Hudson, who is in everything from The Human Tornado and The Octagon from our Blaxploitation and Chuck Norris shows to Magic and the new Quantum Leap, is once again a crusty but ultimately soft-hearted department boss. And Edgar Bergen's even more wooden dummy Candace of our Michael Caine shows The Magus camps it up as the faded beauty queen running, as it happens, ruining the pageant. Fascinatingly, the film was lensed by none other than Laszlo Kovacs, whose 60s and 70s career reads like a something weird back catalog. Check out the films he worked on and the directors he worked with before going lame and mainstream. You'd never believe it. My wife recently bought an ex-marine in to run a community self-defense class for women and seniors. I was prepared for the guy to soft-soap the issue and play it rather safe rather than actual street-worthy maneuvers, so I told her and a female friend of ours that I'd fill in the blanks if necessary afterwards. The guy surprised the hell out of me by being blunt and correct in what he showed them, except for the open palm strike where you shove the guy's nose up into his fucking brain so he can at least break if not take down the bastard permanently. 
So when I mention adding that one to them, our friend blurts out, oh, I know that one from his congeniality. So yeah, ladies, you can actually learn a few things from Sandy here. It's a fun fish out of water transformation story where the tomboy turns out to be the biggest head turner in the room. An action comedy in the vein of stuff like Running Scared, Dead Heat, or those early Whoopi Goldberg and Eddie Murphy films from our shows on both of them, and a female empowerment chick flick that's funny and endearing all at once. You may walk in rolling your eyes at the concept, but it's a safe bet that you'll walk out of this not only laughing, but with an odd newfound respect for other folks and their own struggles, however things may seem on the surface. And any film that leaves you feeling more part of the human community is a plus. It ain't Truffaut's Day for Night, which we talked about in our Jackie Bissett show, but it's a lot funnier and bears a broader appeal to audiences of all stripe. This is definitely a good one. I like this a lot. So what's your take? No, it's a good one. Uh, I cannot dis- disagree with you at all. There's a lot of interesting people in this. I actually misspoke a few minutes ago. I thought we were talking about this movie. I don't know. There's a lot. I was like, what? Will you shine or any Hudson? Wait, what? <laughs> 20 no, days it's like, now. there's a lot of movies in Spoman CB. You know, oh, yeah. Like, uh, I get confused. But no, it's a good one. It's it's a lot of fun. No, it's, I agree. It, it's It's a good picture. So next up, Murder by Numbers. She was the executive producer on this one, too. They tell you why I was called a hyena? Female hyenas have a mock penis. Draw your own conclusions. Does that bother you? I just wear loose slacks. It's not really a problem. Yep, it's yet another vanishing-style murder thriller for Bullock, with an obvious indebtedness to Hitchcock's rope. Sandy is a domestic abuse victim-turned-detective who has a tendency of banging her partners, but refuses to take her shirt off in flagrante delicto. Turns out Hubby, who's apparently up for parole, actually tried stabbing her to death, so she carries physical as well as psychological scars. She apparently became a cop just to prove to herself that she wasn't a victim. The rest of the movie is her and her partner looking to another of those murder just to see if we can get away with it things between two teenage guys who are very obviously gay and cruising each other through murder. It seems obvious that the rich father figure wannabe is the mastermind here, while the oddball twink may swing both ways, simultaneously falling for an artsy girl who's also making a play for him. Not only does it turn out that he actually wound up strangling the victim to, quote, prove his manhood slash love to the butch of his relationship, but when Big Daddy sees he may be losing Tinkerbell with that girl, he actually talks her into the sack and sends his little boyfriend photos. See, only I'm good enough for you, little man. It's so gay. Can you believe this uncomfortable cross between a Lifetime movie and an even uglier Girl with a Dragon Tattoo sensibility comes by way of Barbie Schroeder, who gave us the likely realistic and oddly humanist comic take on BDSM lifestyle, Maitress, which coincidentally dumped future publicly pissing a bottle bottle on a plain nude beach whale Gerard Depardieu on the world. Like The Vanishing, it's oddly quite watchable, particularly as the girl's kind of endearing in an 80s teen sex comedy girl next door the hero winds up with sort of way. But the weird mix of dark melodrama with Bullock's character and all this TMI business with the two queens is unlikely to leave you clamoring for repeat viewing. What's your take? Well, Barbette Schroeder had uh, directed Barfly, which is like one of the big epic films of skeezdom. No, I I don't know. I, I I can't. This movie doesn't work. It's it's, mm-hmm. it's okay. It's 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 not anything memorable. It's got a fun cast. Well, I say fun in the way that they're memorable cast members. But uh, I don't know anything you spoke of it. I just can't add anything to this. Yeah, it's watchable but queasy. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yes, exactly. So, next up, Divine Secrets of the Yaya Sisterhood. Can you believe the title? I hope this is not a real emergency, because I only brought one bottle of vodka. 
a Callie Corey who produced Thumbwind and Louise and a rather odd aria from our Ken Russell show, delivers what may be her only directorial adventure here, and that's probably for the best. Produced by Gaylord Films, and that should be a flashing neon clue that you're about to enter a cross between the Golden Girls, Avfab, and an Andy Milligan script. If I had an easy childhood, I'd have nothing to write about. That ungrateful bitch, who'd have thought she'd be the one to do me in? How could you? And she was supposed to be the good one. Holy shit, is this my psycho drama queen of a mother or what? Tell her she's dead. She's dead to me. I am sick and tired of her tantrums and drunken rages. I heard the ice clinking in the glass. Mama signs my happy childhood. Sandy's a famous playwright who gets interviewed by Time magazine, exposing her lousy childhood and her narcissistic personality disorder of a mother. Ellen bursts them. Goodbye, Charlie, from our Tony Curtis show. And like I can tell you from personal experience, confronting this sort of person with the facts goes in one ear and out the other. They are the star of the show, the only hero and inevitable victim. You're just a pawn in their game or the surprise villain in their eyes. What's wrong with a nice, simple, hi mom, how are you? Love you too, see you later. In the real world of normal people, you'll be right. But she has never gotten over anything in her privileged, booze-soaked life. Well, at least my mother wasn't a lush like Sandy's mom's here for what little that's worth. I'm so sick to death of this whole center of the universe, holier than now, nothing is ever enough. Oh, how I've suffered, nobody understands me, Scarlet O'Hara thing. She's got her peg there, right? Burson sends nasty gram letters without a return address, assuming we know or care about where she <laughs> up and ran off to in the middle of the night a few years back. Oh, sorry, that's my mother. Uh, she pulls down all her photos of Sandy and cuts them into pieces, mailing them back to her and saying she won't be coming to the wedding. I'm going to say to you exactly what I say to my own mother. Grow up. Did she just hang up on me? How do your old man hang in there for all those years? Now the film gets weird. Apparently as a kid... Anna Paquin looked like Ashley Judd from her Al Pacino show's Heat. She and her pals, which include Maggie Smith of Sister Act 1 and 2 from a Whoopi Goldberg show, do some half-assed pagan ritual in the woods, dubbing themselves the titular moniker. At least 60 years later, they're still acting as her henchmen, going so far as to head north and roofing Sandy so they can spirit her back down home and try to explain why the woman is such a complete piece of shit. I won't dispute that. She's as mad as a hatter, and that is not going to change. Her long-suffering father is none other than Jim Rockford, I mean James Garner of our Steve McQueen show's Great Escape, and Sledgehammer himself, David Rash, of her Eddie Murphy show's Best Defense, is floating around somewhere in here, probably in the lame and endless flashback sequences that attempt to explain why Burston is a self-absorbed piece of shit, blaming the rest of the world for her deficiencies. I'm not angry. The only anger I feel is because y'all think you have the right to disrupt my entire life because she had a hissy fit because she don't like it when all I did was tell the truth. <sighs> Yeah, this one hits home. It's better for the ridiculous, unrealistic Hallmark crowd bullshit ending where everyone reconciles and all's right with the world. Horseshit. I guess if you're one of the few self-aware people out there who can look yourself in the mirror and say that your family and childhood was just fucking great, and boy are you glad to have these people in your life, you may find amusement in all this reasonably light-toned schadenfreude, but for the rest of us, while its comedic and frankly absurd tone is probably going to pick an old sketch and trigger a rage out, it's simply wrong-headed and delivers a lying message that you do well to reject as the foolishness and naivete it is. Particularly if you had somebody who's a cross between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton as a close relative and had to deal with said person throughout much of your life. Burn that bridge and flip that, quote, sign of love and respect finger to whom it's due and don't waste your time on nonsense like this. What's your take? Sheesh. I watch it. I don't remember anything about it. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's for the best. Trust me. Oh, boy. So anyway, two weeks notice. It wasn't an emergency when you called me at 3.30 in the morning because you had a nightmare that you became a fifth member of KISS. <laughs> Sandy is a diehard hippie-type social justice warrior lawyer who dresses very 90s boho chic, 
lays down in front of demolition crews and is just generally a community activist pain in the ass, however admirable her motivation. When Robert Barron One Percenters Wade Enterprises move in to gentrify her Coney Island neighborhood and level the Art Deco movie theater come community center in favor of a skyscraper for rich yuppie scum, she heads down to make a stink only to wind up hired as corporate counsel by the strangely likable public blowjob man Hugh Grant of our Ken Russell show's Lair of the White Worm and our Roman Polanski show's Bitter Moon. I am unemployable. You called everywhere but Slurpee Heaven. That's not true. I did call Slurpee Heaven. They said you weren't Slurpee material. Well, she thinks she's there to score some crazy money to help her various causes and serve as a check and conscience on the real estate mogul's operations, he's actually like a naughty schoolboy calling her out of a bridesmaid's role at a wedding to help him pick out a suit. This pisses her off enough that she resigns, and the rest of the film is what takes place during her two-week notice. This guy took me parking in high school, and I spent the whole time talking about Nelson Mandela, I don't know why. Personally, I would have found that incredibly erotic. Sexy little redhead Alicia Witt, of no appreciable credits, looks a hell of a lot like a gal who plays tabletop games with me and a few pals, is the scheming younger bitch who butters Sandy up to win the job as her replacement, then does her level best to muscle her out and bang her way into power, inclusive of a late-night game of strip monopoly. Robert Klein of The Owl and the Pussycat and Hooper from our George Siegel and Burt Reynolds shows as Sandy's father, and Heather Burns, Mr. Rhode Island from Miss Congeniality, is her best buddy who effectively cameos as a shoulder to cry on once or twice. The world must be full of men just dying to be with a compulsive eater incapable of falling in love. As likable and pratfall-prone as Bullock is, this one's really Grant's show. He fills the film with arch humor, wry witty asides, and a Monty Python-esque sensibility, complete with a silly walk during the end credits. It's as if he's running on a separate track and commenting on the script as it plays out, a la Noel Coward or Oscar Wilde. It's a surprisingly cute and enjoyable little rom-com, and one of the very few where the male lead is as memorable and winning as Bullock itself. I really like this one. Well, any movie that takes place in Coney Island gets my interest. And <laughs> but I thought it was like, yeah, because though they filmed on actual locations, it's a bullshit. And so... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I figured just slam it on the accuracy. Yeah, on the accuracy, but you know, it's it's an okay movie. It's it's just she she does a lot of movies like this, and I'm glad that uh, after like a few movies after this, she starts to make movies more infrequent because, <laughs> to be frank, they're becoming very samey. Yeah, well, they're all rom coms and they're kind of formulaic. Yeah. But it is one of her better ones of those. So, in 2004, Crash. Written, produced, and directed by Paul Haggis, the asshole who took the Bond series headlong into the wide world of torture porn with the Grand Ole Craig Casino Royale, and his penchant for scripting quality cinema certainly reaches something of an apotheosis here. We're always behind this metal and glass. I think we miss that touch so much that we just crash into each other so we can feel something. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that poorly written rid of expository dialogue both opens and delivers the ostensible point of this amazing bit of nihilistic racism against all comers, black, white, male, female, Asian, Arabic, you name it. Everybody hates everybody, and unlike the expected ivory tower business normally offered in this sort of fair, everyone more or less deserves it, and I do mean everyone. Do you see any white people waiting an hour and a half for a plate of spaghetti? And how many cups of coffee did we get? Man, that woman poured cup after cup to every single white person around us. Rapper Ludacris is so pissed off about being discriminated against the local dive diner, he decides to carjack Doom Patrol's doofy Brendan Fraser and his wife Bullock. Fraser's the local DA and supposedly has support in the black community, but he's also worried about the optics of his being carjacked because whatever he says or plays down, it'll damage his image with either the black community or the law and order crowd. Damn it, why do those guys have to be black? 
wife Bullock, arguably due to the experience as much as her own biases, launches into a tarot in front of his multiracial staff and a Hispanic locksmith working on their apartment. I would like the locks changed again in the morning, and you might mention that we appreciate it next time they didn't send a gang member. You mean that kid in there? The guy with the shaved heads, the pants around his ass, the prison tattoo? He's not going to steal our key into his gangbanger friends the moment he's at our door? If a white person sees two black men walking towards him, she turns and walks in the other direction. She's a racist, right? Well, I didn't say anything tonight, and ten seconds later I had a gun in my face. The second war machine from the Iron Man and Avengers films, Don Cheadle, is a cop who's banging his supposedly Hispanic partner, the very Italian Jennifer Esposito. Mom, I can't talk to you right now. I'm having sex with a white woman. Cheadle is also a dick who gives himself a case of blue balls by insulting Esposito mid-fuck. You want a lesson? How about geography? My mother's from Puerto Rico. My father's from El Salvador. Neither one of those is Mexico. Then the big mystery is, who gathered all those remarkably different cultures together and taught them how to park their cars on their lawns? Of course, like everyone else in this hate bomb of a film, she's just as racist, offering this among a stream of vectors during the opening scene car crash. Officer, can you please write in your report how shocked I am to be hit by an Asian driver? And guess what? The little Asian woman she hits is a Korean human trafficking Cambodians to work as free labor in Chinatown. Seriously. And then there's the gun shop owner. Yo, Osama, plan a jihad in your own time. Are you making insult to me? I'm an American citizen. I'm flying 747s into your mud huts and incinerating your friends? Get the fuck out. And then the paranoid Arabic guy he insults, whose wife is Star Trek Next Generation's Marina Sirtis, who goes after that same Latino locksmith who may or may not have been ripping him off for subpar work. And then there's Matt Dillon as the racist cop who pulls over a rich black couple, the wife being Fandy Newton from her Eddie Murphy show's Norbit, trying to profile her as giving hubby head while driving and molesting her during a pat-down. Can you believe this non-stop tarot fest filled with hateful characters who hate everyone surrounding and are hated in evil measure was in turn a multiple Oscar, BAFTA, Golden Globe, and Screen Actors Guild winner? and made numerous critics' top ten lists, including one for, quote, most important films of all time. You want a film that properly addresses racial conflict and the moral gray areas that easily devolve into wrongheadedness and outright racism? Watch Falling Down. This film is just shit on every level. Why does anyone hire this guy again? What's your take? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I really dislike this movie. Yeah, good for you. And, and you know, a lot of these people who worked on this movie... There's been issues with the director, mm-hmm. Paul Haggis, and you guys can find this stuff online. Got a great cast. You know, Sandra, Don Cheadle, Matt Dillon, Jennifer Esposito, Brenda Frazier, Terrence Howard, Ludacris, Sandy Newton, who changed her fucking name to Fan Weed. Yes, I, I don't understand that one. <laughs> I don't understand that one. Agreed. And a bunch of other people, you know, William Fixture. I didn't like it to begin with. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was an unnecessary move into downbeaten, downtrodden. Hey, when you make a movie, it's to entertain. Yeah. I get that. You know, like, uh, except for the last few David Cronenberg films, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then the films by Sudden Jordan which I've watched, and is, we're going off script here. Like, what the fuck? No, no. Who wants to watch this kind of stuff? So, you know, you know, you know this kind of movie here. <sighs> it's hateful without a point. And everybody deserves the racism that's thrown at them, which makes it even more wrongheaded. I'm like, yes, I agree. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. So anyway, and, and, and probably one of the reasons why 
it's not a very well liked film, and it's probably and then there's been stuff brought up against Paul Haggis, mm-hmm. the director. I I'm not sure what's going on with that, but yeah, after seeing this, you won't be surprised. Trust me. <laughs> true, true. So, Miss Congeniality 2, Armed and Fabulous. She was also the producer in this one. After the first film, Agent Turned Beauty Queen Bullock is massively famous. Her being recognized during a sting operation causes massively mass... Massively famous, right? Yes. It causes mass chaos. And Chief Ernie Hudson taps her to improve the image of the agency as its public face, writing a book about her experience and winding up on Regis and Kathy Lee after the latter stepped down due to the sweatshop scandal. She's paired with a decidedly butch partner, Regina King of Boys in the Hood and Poetic Justice, who is initially at odds with her and gets a new stylist sidekick, another straight guy playing a very effective queen by the name of Dietrich Bader, who becomes an effective fellow agent in the process. Treat Williams of the Ritz in 1941 from a John Belushi show is the baddie local agent trying to stop the renegade investigation, and the former credit is appropriate as there's a lengthy sequence involving the three leads doing a show at a drag club as Tina Turner and her show go backup dancers. There's another fun scene where she chases and takes down what she thinks is a baddie, but turns out to be the real Dolly Parton who's as endearing as ever. That woman is like the new Betty White, I swear. But the bulk of this is rather silly and light compared to the astronomically superior original. Even Godzilla agrees. Disney pulls some strings. <laughs> Disney pulls some strings and sets the denouement at the Pirates of the Caribbean show. But director John Pasquin is yet another no-credit schlub, best known for Tim Allen kid stinker, The Santa Claus, among his literal half of a handful of credits. You may want to see this one if you're a huge fan of the original and just need more Sandy and cameos from Shatner and Miss Rhode Island, who get kidnapped and serve as the MacGuffin here. But it ain't a pimple on the ass of the original Miss Congeniality. Make no mistake about that. What's your take? Oh, it, it's fun. I uh, yeah. I thought that it's a sequel or a part two of his congeniality. Because it's, it is a part two. Armed and fabulous. I, it's, it's fun. It's not terrible. Yeah, I mean, it's watchable. It's just compared it's to the original. It's, like, yeah. it's watchable. You know, it's, yeah, where else can you go with that? Yeah. So next up, The Lake House. Oh, I love this. It's kind of a long-distance relationship. How did you meet? We haven't. Bullock and Keanu Reeves reunited a dozen years on from speed for this kind of maudlin romance novel with vague and nonsensical supernatural undertones. Christopher Plummer of our Elliot Gould show's The Silent Partner and our Richard Harris show's High Point is Reeves' father, a cold and obnoxious wannabe Frank Lord Wright, who built a rather impractical-looking house over the water on a lake that Reeves and two years later Bullock rent and live in. There's this whole bizarre plot device where the two keep exchanging letters via the house's mailbox, whose flag raises magically when there's no mail, predicting things that haven't happened yet, and the fact that there's no logical way for them to be interacting two years apart from each other. The man who was standing right in front of me, the one I wanted to marry me, I push away. The one man I can never meet, him I would like to give my whole heart to. He must write one hell of a letter. While they do eventually actually meet once, his dog runs away and her boyfriend catches him, which garners him and his cheap tart of a girl an invite to Bullock's birthday party. She doesn't know he's the guy she's been pining over for some time. During their lone in-person conversation, which turns into a dance-come-makeout session in the garden, they pointedly make a direct comparison to Jane Austen's Persuasion, which is a story about delayed gratification and a relationship that only works out after a long period of separation, but it doesn't really hold, because this film is really about ghosts finally meeting, effectively for the first time after death. Yep, it's a twisted take on Romeo and Juliet, too, by way of the haunting. The whole letter-writing thing is never explained, and even if you look at it like Bullock is crazy and all his preambles in her head, it just never jives with the narrative. 
Bottom line, he's been hit by a car. She was a bystander who tried to save him but failed. They both wind up in the same house and taking in the same dog. And like some cross between Emily Dickinson and an appointment at Samara, they keep making dates to meet and missing each other until she figures it out. Now, my original view left me thinking that jumbled and nonsensical end scene had Bullock committing suicide by walking out in front of a speeding truck, and the two ghosts walk off hand in hand to their lake house roll credits. And I said, oh my god, that's another stupid ghost by the way of Sixth Sense, and we discussed the former Whoopi Goldberg show. Was this really still a thing in 2006? Now, I did try watching it a second time since you spoke so highly of it, and it makes even less sense! So somehow, we're supposed to believe that all this time-traveling two-year remove nonsense allows her to send him yet another letter two years into her past, and with his company already confirming that he died two years prior to her visit, which sets her figured out that he was the accident victim that she tried to help, and magically, through the deus ex machina of bad, trashy romance novel writing, she convinces him to meet her at the lake house rather than where he died, and yes, the two walk off hand in hand to the lake house. Whatever. Reeves does his latter-day sensitive guy shtick. Bullock is cute as always, particularly in the 2006 scenes with Reeves when she grows out her hair. But while bearing a bit of a weird atmosphere for the genre, and being much better than either of those two stinkers, it ultimately is kind of predictable popular schmaltz for the romance novel crowd. Snore. I wasn't really that impressed with it. What was your take? Oh, I really like this one. Um, did you make any sense of it? Does it make any logical sense? I did. I did. I did. I watched it, and, you know, it was like the not my kind of film. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting for sure. But. Yeah, it's it's interesting for sure, and and it's uh, I think uh, originally based on the Korean. Yes, there was an original Korean movie of this. I forget the name. Maybe it was the so-called Lake House. Korean movie. Yeah, and so so here's my take, which is different from yours. I don't think at the very end he died. I think at the end he managed to reinterpret his wife his life with her so they were still alive well yeah but see that's what i mean it's like okay by sending a letter into the past when he was already dead according to the agency she went to somehow she managed to make him not go to that appointment where he got run over the car so they meet each other at the lake house and all right. as well but how the fuck is that supposed to work it doesn't make any sense <laughs> so, it doesn't make any sense yeah. but look you know No, sometimes Asians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I've watched a lot of, well, mostly Japanese are better, but the Korean horror films and stuff too, so I know how strange they can get. A- Asians have a deep romantic sense that we cannot ascertain. We we cannot. Well, you can't make sense of it sometimes, yes. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah, we can't make sense of it. And, Maybe it's because they bury their emotions so much in public, but yeah, you're right about that. Yeah, and I I think that in that instance, I really like this movie because, you know, I watched this like more than once. I was like, Mm -hmm. same here. You know, at first I was like, I don't know. Then I pushed it on you. I know I pushed it on you because I said, how do And I watched it and I was like, I don't get it. I mean, okay, yeah, I get the atmosphere was nice and they were both decent. You know, Keanu Reeves is really pretty good in this one. You know, she was fine. But it was just like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. What the hell? So I went back and said, okay, maybe I wasn't paying too close attention at the end. I missed something. Watched it again. I'm like, okay, well, it wasn't the way I thought it was originally, but it still doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, I don't know. Where do we get the show we dance? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Here's the thing. It doesn't make any fucking sense, but okay, he meets this girl Blah 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 blah. We go through this whole dance, and 
at the end, this is the woman he was always meant to be with. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I get that part. And so that's why I like to be. That's why I like the most about it. Oh, yeah. No, I totally get that part. I mean, I feel that way about my life. But, you know, it's just like it did, the mechanics of it. The story is like, wait, this doesn't make any fucking sense. Anyway, you slice it. So. Well, you know, it's a, it's a little awkward, but probably, probably it's the most, I mean, from, from, from where I'm coming from, it's probably, probably from one of the best of the uh, type of pictures. From that, what like this romance novel sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Romantic fantasy, I guess you could call it. Yeah. In a way. <laughs> All right. So next up, premonition. Oh, we're sticking with this ghost type shit. Bullock stars with the annoying Nia Long of our Whoopi Goldberg shows Made in America, and a much older Kate Nelligan who was so sexy in the Frank Langella Dracula. In this dog shit post M Night Shyamalan take on Vonnegut and Slaughterhouse Five, minus any of the politics and important stuff. Bullock appears to be, quote, unstuck in time, continually having apparent premonitions of her husband's death, her kid getting disfigured by running through a glass door like an idiot, and other mundane if unfortunate bullshit, only to keep snapping back to reality where everything is fine until she relives it. She winds up strapped down in a nut house. The cops suspect that she killed the hubby and hurt her kid, since she apparently reported the incidents two days before they happened. Who gives a shit? It's terrible. This is the kind of sub-romance novel-level women's interest crap Lifetime made its name on, just minus the husband being an evil rapist slasher our hero makes to take down, because, you know, all guys are evil, especially once you're married. Yeah, the politics and gender orientation was always pretty blatant over that channel. I was friends with several DJs over at my college radio station. I was offered a gig there. That's a story we can get into some other time. But one of them, a little tiny long hair, it must have been all like... 5'2", 5'3", and 95 pounds soaking wet, scored a postgraduate internship with Lifetime. I thought, what are you, crazy? They're going to eat you alive over there. He laughed, but I never heard of him again. <laughs> anyway, this is very typical Women in Pearl Lifetime Network bullshit, and it sucks harder than you could ever possibly imagine. I suggest watching Paint Dry over wasting an hour and a half on this. What's your take? Well, I know I made a lot of money. I, I haven't been able to see this film. <sighs> Lucky you. And... <laughs> no, I haven't been able to see this movie for review, and so we can't really comment on it. All right. So uh, next up, much better thing. The Proposal yeah. is also the executive producer on this one. Wow, I always wanted to get married in a barn. Despite looking damn cute in a ponytail, Sandy is a bitch of a boss at a crap corporation. The staff sends group chat messages that, quote, the witch is on her broom whenever she shows up or leaves her office so that they stop screwing around and pretend to look busy. You'll have to stop snacking on children while they dream. She attacks and fires her staff for the smallest of slights and is appropriately despised by all, save her personal admin come Guy Friday, Ryan Reynolds of Blade Trinity, Deadpool, and the amazing Green Lantern, which was easily his greatest role, and we discussed Blade Trinity in our Snipe show. But the biggest stretch for this dominatrix of a VP is that she's Canadian, which is the linchpin that the film rests on. Because apparently a paperwork misfiling means that she's about to be deported unless she marries a U.S. citizen for a green card. And on the spur of the moment, she nominates her simp of an assistant as her imaginary fiancé. What's the problem? Were you saying yourself for somebody special? Blackmail into the faux marriage for fear of losing his presumed business fast track to an editorial position, the two have a run-in with a surprisingly savvy INS agent and find themselves forced into a trip to his parents' place in Alaska. Do you prefer to be called Margaret or Satan's mistress? Because I heard it both ways. 
She gets railroaded into a bachelorette party with the world's worst stripper, who doubles as the waiter at the reception, the manager of the general store, and the local priest. That's a small island community. Meets Reynolds' ex, who still holds the flame, Watchman's Silk Spectre, the rather fetching Malin Ackerman, and deals with Reynolds' family, Mom Mary Steenburgen of Time After Time, Back to the Future 3, and Going South from a John Belushi show, Grandma Password and Match Game Regular and Golden Girl Betty White, and obnoxious dad Craig T. Nelson of our Whoopi Goldberg show's Ghosts of Mississippi, our black exploitation show's Scream Black Hill Scream, and our Al Pacino show's Injustice for All. I'm sorry for feeding you to the eagle. She winds up using a sub-VIC-20 computer and AOL dial-up connection to reach New York, dances some crap crunk rap with filthy lyrics around a bonfire in the woods with White, who's doing some weird Eskimo ritual and stumbling into him naked. And if you always wanted to see a dog speared away by an eagle, here's your chance. Let's see if we can find your boobs. They're in there somewhere. Of course, the whole experience changes their relationship, and they really do fall for each other. Cube final third big problem and the expected happy ending. Directed by Hocus Pocus 2's Ann Fletcher, and believe it or not, that film was capsule reviewed over at Third Eye Center.wordpress.com. This one gets the unexpected provenance of being distributed by Disney, of all people, and actually took the essentially forgotten former Golden Girl White and turned her into a high profile icon with dozens of chat show appearances and cameos in both film and television from this point to the day she died a year or two back. It starts off somewhat abrasive, particularly as someone who's had several women bosses, all of whom were pretty damn difficult to work under, I have to say, but gradually warms into an off-kilter but surprisingly enjoyable rom-com, almost in spite of itself. I always liked it, and my wife loves it. Pretty much the case with all Sandy's rom-coms. I've seen them all several times over the years, making this show something one of us to do for quite some time now. It's a romantic comedy. It's fun. Uh, yeah. I can't comment more or less. It was enjoyable. So, all about Steve. (laughs) If you love someone, set him free. If you have to stalk him, he probably wasn't yours in the first place. (laughs) This is a weird one. It's always been a bit of an outlier, rarely revisited and leaving a sour taste in the mouth like the end of the forces of nature before it. Bullock is a Lonely Hearts crossword puzzle author for the local paper. She dresses a bit like an attention-seeking teenager, which is somewhat endearing, but she's kind of a mess. Her folks, one of whom was Howard Hesman from WKRP, Americathon, and Dr. Detroit, set her up on a blind date with Rocket Raccoon. Seriously, that's the best you'll find in this guy's filmography. He's the fucking voice of Rocket. Roving news cameraman Bradley Cooper. When he tries to fuck her in the back of his car, she goes off about the particulars of vocabulary, which so turns him off, he leaves coitus interrupts, claiming he has to cover a story out of town. Trying to let her down easily, he casually blurts out something to the effect of, hey, wish you could come, but, you know which she takes his gospel and stalks his ass across country. Doctor of Internal Medicine come tacky comedian and mass singer host Ken Jeong is part of the camera crew slash segment producer, and the guy who plays Sam in the awful Spider-Man 3 in square-jawed wings vet Thomas Hayden Church is the reporter who works with Cooper and encourages Bullock because her esoteric trivia spruces up his reporting, and he's gunning for a promotion at desk job as talking head anchor. The rest of the film is her pathetically following him around while the no-prize-by-anyone-standards Cooper continues to act as if this was the worst day of his life when it's really just that she was clingy and a bit neurotic, hardly psycho territory, until she turns oddly thotty and likable stalker thereafter. Jeez, you could at least fuck the girl for a reason to chase her, dump you, as if this fuck is God gives to women, please. Look at the damn mirror, buddy. Like many of her films, it's directed by a no-name of few, if any, credits. This time a Phil Trail, who earned himself Bullock and the film, more worst film and Raspberry Awards for this film than either of his two other obscure films even got viewers. It is quite literally a career killer. Where are we? 
this was the ridiculous all about Steve. Oh, all about Steve. You know, with, uh, you know, Bradley Cooper, be, who would become immensely famous. <laughs> For Rocket Raccoon. <laughs> um, and uh, other things. And Thomas E. Church, Ken Jong, DJ Qualls, which people might recognize from Supernatural. Is that a great movie? It's okay. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> wow, you're really generous with some of these. So, The Heat, 2013. That asshole, John Ross Bowie, the duck-voiced Adam Sandler wannabe comic store owner from Big Bang Theory, is prominent in the opening scenes. Then, that annoying white trash BBW, Melissa McCarthy, busts a bald geek picking up an underage hooker by launching into a nasty feminist tirade and calling his wife. Then she harasses some gangbangers who call her racist, which she defends by saying 9 out of 10 guys she screws are black. Yeah, we all know they date overweight white girls more than we do. You already know exactly what kind of film you just stepped in. But it's one thing to have to clean this one off of our shoes. The question is, what the fuck is Sandra Bullock doing in this unfunny, low-class, strident turd bomb? Directed by a Paul Feig, known mainly for his foisting total crap sitcoms on the world, and the universally detested all-girl Ghostbusters remake, this clown digs up washed-up ostensible, quote, comedians like a Wayans brother, Jane Curtin from the druggiest iteration of Saturday Night Live, and new kid on the block, Joey McIntyre, to serve as appropriately exasperated foils to McCarthy's I hate the world because I'm overly obese shtick. Does anyone actually find her funny? I actually remembered this one within minutes of popping in the player and knew exactly why I pushed it right out of my memory. Sandy isn't in this half so much as you'd expect for an ostensible odd couple buddy cop film, and she's basically just the straight man or woman to McCarthy's abrasive and off-putting antics. There's no real character arc, no profound changes to either of them as a result of their forced pairing. Like McCarthy, is just loud, obnoxious, and totally sucks. So for the heat, I didn't see the fucking thing. So, <laughs> After all that. <laughs> After all that, I haven't seen the heat, so yes. Now, Gravity was good. I like that. Four years of flops from her last decent movie, The Proposal, Bullock gains at least some Oscar attention as boring, ostensible space epic from the nobody who's most notable film <laughs> was half-assed art house offering E2 Mom of Tom Bien. Most notable for starring both leads in the Ocean's Eleven revival series, this snooze fest is clearly the result of way too many stone spins of Bowie's space oddity, and we talked Bowie's music and film careers in our For Those Who Fall on Show around the time that he passed. Yep, if you heard the song, that's all that happens here. Ocean's Eleven, Twelve, and Thirteen's de facto Floby spokesperson and king of My Mother Cuts It For Me hairdos, George Clooney, and Ocean's Eight star Bullock are a pair of unfortunate astronauts shuttled out in space to repair the Hubble telescope. As course, as they inevitably have to, the fucking commies over Mother Russia have to screw everything up, blowing up a satellite decided must have been for spy purposes, and sending a big wave of space junk to breathe their way, blocking communications and causing fatal damage to their shuttle as well as the Hubble. The crew is killed, save for our two leads who were on spacewalk doing their repairs, and the entire film thereafter is their failed attempts to get back to the shuttle and other national and international space stations and shuttles so they can get back to or even communicate with Earth. Clooney drifts off into space, Bullock gets into a shuttle that turns out to be out of fuel, she tries to commit suicide but hallucinates herself into another makeshift attempt using a fire extinguisher's propellant, and eventually lands successfully on Earth roll credits. 
Beyond all stretches of imagination and straining the limits of belief, this endless, pointless, plotless piece of shit managed to garner nearly a dozen Oscar nominations and just as many BAFTAs, a Golden Globe or two, and all sorts of five-star glowing recommendations from the critical elite who originally got me pissed off enough to start Third Eye and Weird Scenes in the first place, so there'd be at least one voice out there telling the truth and setting the record straight on all this payola bullshit and hype that dominates modern criticism, the media, and the internet per se. Bullock is an intelligent, attractive, and very capable woman whose rom-coms are among the best out there, and she's proven she can pull some very credible action and heist films to boot. Shit like this, though, is way outside her wheelhouse, and it isn't even good sci-fi. If you really need a motionless, kind of sleepy and boring space flick to drop acid to, stick with Kubrick's 2001, at least that one's good. This one's just kind of a piece of shit and true to form. Inversely praised to high heaven for its utter lack of merits. I think, stay away, stay far, far away, but obviously you thought a lot more of it, so go ahead. What's your take? Fuck you. I, I, I just totally disagree. You're like a crazy bastard. And this is, no, this is a good This is why people listen to us. It's a good movie. You're, you, sometimes, I don't know, you're, you're like, you're on like Starbase 401.9.65. And, and like, I get that. It's okay. You can go where you want to go. Go where you want to go. Do what you want. But, you know, I watched this. It was like, okay, what am I going to see? What am I going to expect? And I was like, I had no idea what was happening with this film as it unfolded. And I was like, wow, really? We're going to go to these places? And I enjoyed it. Okay. And I was like, totally fucking surprised that, like, so George died pretty i don't say early but you know pretty into the film it's like oh, really that's it yeah, it's like this film. <laughs> george died in the film and i'm like she she is she gonna make it you know is she gonna make it and 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 i'm not gonna say whether she does or didn't because anybody listening to this but probably think well don't spoil it for me man but yo i really like this film it does, but it's, it's just like an escape room kind of a thing where it's like, okay, yeah, she's going to make it fine, but there's really nothing happening. It's just like, well, how do we get out of this desperate situation in the middle of space by myself with no communication? And she eventually does, but, you know, it's just like, that's it? Okay. Well, what do you want? <laughs> what do you want? You know, that's it. I was like, I'm not really impressed by this. It's like boring shit. I'm like, all right, whatever. I was impressed. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. Right, there you go. <laughs> so, 2015, our brand is Crisis. She's also executive producer in this one. In politics, money does talk, and it's about to do a lot more talking. The Supreme Court has lifted limits on campaign contributions, ushering in a new era of unfettered political spending. When you began your career, you must have heroes or role models. Yes, and then I met them. In this film, if this film seems a bit savvier than you'd expect for a late career Sandra Bullock drama, realize that Harold's from the directorial chair of the guy behind the recent and surprisingly good Halloween trilogy, David Gordon Green. The guy that threw the egg, it was a put-up job. If your opponent is of choleric temperament, provoke him. Attack your enemy where he's unprepared. Appear where you are unexpected. And one of these perennially relevant quotes from Sun Tzu comes the crux of the film, an all-out, behind-the-scenes PR and propaganda war between retired and scandal-mongered political campaign consultant Bullock and her longtime rival Angelina Jolie X and all-around sleazy hick Billy Bob Thornton of Chopper Chicks and Zombie Down and literally nothing else worth discussing. The Captain America film's likable Anthony Mackie is fellow campaign manager who drags Bullock out of retirement to salvage a losing campaign for a rich right-wing fashion leaning type. 
Thornton, for all his scumminess, appears to be on the side of the angels this time around, working his sleazy tricks to get his opposition into office and give the heretofore unrepresented Indio majority an actual voice in government. But Bullock pulls some hoary tricks right out of the Republican playbook to score a narrow win for her no-good candidate, resulting in a nigh-immediate fascist show of force against the people. When voters are looking for hope, they always go for the new guy. But when they're scared, they look to a wartime leader. They look for a guy who, when you come at him with an egg, he doesn't have time for fun and games. He's going to put you down and he's going to punch you in the face. So let me tell you what our little movie's going to be about. Our story is that Bolivia is facing the worst period in its turbulent history. We're at a crossroads and Bolivians face a choice. They have Rivera, a man of no substance, no experience, and every man opportunist who will stand by and watch as his nation falls apart. Or they can choose Castillo. You might not like him. You might think he's an arrogant son of a bitch, but he is a fighter. He has grit, and he has experience, and he has got balls. He's the only choice to save the day. And our brand, what we are selling, is crisis. Whew, damn. They could not have summarized GOP tactics over the last century any better than that. The tricks get so dirty along the way that they actually fabricated the photo of the opposite candidate with Klaus Barbie, and she feeds a line from Joseph Goebbels to Thornton that she knows he'll pass on to his candidate just to sink him. It's not funny in any respect despite being sold as a quote dramedy, and it's not especially deep or engaging either, but it is a timely lambasting of right-wing political shenanigans and the obvious scams and agitprop they keep using as predictably as clockwork to get their cronies into office time and time again, despite the fact that their every action in office is against the very people fooled into voting them in and red state track records of being the most impoverished and unlivable welfare states in the nation. It's really, it's it's hard to watch, but it's so true and people really need to see this because of that. What's your take? I haven't seen this, I'm sorry. Alright, so next up, Ocean's 8. Simple Life? Nice one. I've had five years to rehearse it. In aging, but it's still pretty milfy Sandy as an ex-con and sister to George Clooney's Danny Ocean on the Ocean's Eleven remake and series, which we discussed in our Elliot Gould show. She gathers a team of fellow knockabouts to pull a jewel heist at the Met Gala, presumably between opera performances and fundraising gestures. That's really all there is to it beyond an interesting and mainly female cast, namely cute Anne Hathaway, whose only performance of any comparative interest whatsoever was the absurd Bride Wars, my Vag and Queef, rapper and comic relief in Shang-Chi, and that irritating ode to materialism, mean girls and nasty families, crazy rich Asians, Aquafina, that terrible Thor Ragnarok's Hella, Kate Blanchett, and we discussed that on Funny Abomination in our trio of superhero cinema shows, this strangely popular if apparently talentless Rihanna, Velma star and executive producer Mindy Kaling, Dakota Fanning, Sherry Curry in the Runaways, Plain Jane star of dozens of boring Blue Nose films and the atrocious Planet of the Apes remake from our Go Ape show, Helena Bonham Carter, our man Elliot Gould, who we did an entire show on, Elizabeth Ashley of 92 in the Shade, Golden Needles and Coma from our Peter Fonda, Joe Don Baker, and Michael Crichton shows, late night talk show host James Corden, and Marlo Thomas all appear in supporting cameo roles here. The clown who gave us the Hunger Games, Gary Ross, somehow winds up delivering what, while ultimately fairly slight entertainment, holds up a hell of a lot better than its all-male counterparts did, and that applies to both the Clooney series and the Sinatra Ratback original, which we had talked on our Frank Sinatra show. It's a decent heist film, and most of the cast is actually likable, if not in a few cases attractive, so what's not to like? Yeah, it's a likable cast, and uh, decently attractive, and so what's not to like? I agree with you. So next one up was Bird Box, which I was not able to see because apparently it's oh. only available HBO streaming or what? Sorry, oh Netflix, Netflix. Netflix. Yeah, but yeah, they have no other way to see that, so I was not able to. Oh, it, this is a rough one. This is a gosh, I don't even go there. It's sort of like a woman, which is Sandra Bullock, 
and it begins with her, her children, they're going down the river in the rowboat, and uh, it's very similar to that film uh, where the guy has the deaf children, very much similar to that. So anyway, she goes she goes down this river with this boat with the two kids, and there are these creatures. And it's, it's really it's a vicious thing. It's a it's like oh my gosh, it's it's you know at first I was like oh, I'm not sure where this is going and do I do I even really want to watch this? <laughs> but it just it's just it's just pretty terrific. It's pretty how do I describe I'm trying to think of ways to describe this for our listeners. This woman is on a rowboat with her children and there are monsters who can hear things you may not be able to hear. And she wants to re- reach a civilization that will save them. But it's like you can't speak. And that's one of the major things. No, it's very good. It's probably one of our best, best roles. Okay. I'm sorry you weren't able to see that. Yeah, I did want to see it, but I wasn't able to. Yeah. So, uh, yes, 2022, The Lost City. All thanks to your brute strength and knowledge of ancient Aramaic mathematics. Please, <laughs> this has nothing to do with my two doctorates and my master's in gender studies. It's all due to you, Dr. Lovemore. Much-mocked Magic Mike Long Channing Tatum nearly redeems himself with his tongue-in-cheek self-mockery and likable dig at the women's fantasy romance novel genre per se. Bullock is Loretta Sage, a middle-aged or still-attractive romance novelist whose archaeologist husband died a few years back, and she neither wants to leave the comforts of home or continue her ongoing and once wildly popular series on her alter ego, Jeffrey Angela Lovemore. Put on a press tour against her will, she's both joined and upstaged by her longtime cover model, a la Fabio Lanzoni, none other than Tatum, who seems to believe he is her hero male lead Dash McMahon. Out of sheer disgust, she immediately sabotages the whole thing by announcing the end of the series and both ripping off his long hair wig and knocking him off stage. While arguing backstage, she finds herself kidnapped by none other than Harry Pothead himself, Daniel Radcliffe, <laughs> a millionaire with a girl's name. Seriously, his name is Abigail, who realizes her books, based on late hubby's work, may actually hold the clues to a lost island treasure. I too wish your dear old dead archaeologist husband was here to help, but he's not. So time to shine, sex book writer. From here, it turns into a cross between Romancing the Stone, the canon King Solomon's Minds, which is discussed in our canon film show, and the not-long-subsequent Jennifer Lopez film Shotgun Wedding, which we'll be discussing next time, as Tatum and hired Merc Brad Pitt of Cutting Class, Interview with the Vampire, and Mr. and Mrs. Smith try to track Sandy down and save her from Radcliffe and his band of psycho Merc sidekicks. They will come for me. Who exactly? Your many cats? I don't have a cat. Somehow even more sad. I have a hamster, asshole. You have a hamster's asshole? No, there was a comma. The two, well, really just Pitt, rescue her, only for Mr. Smith to get immediately shot in the head, leaving the surprisingly inept and metrosexually inclined Tatum and Bullock to rescue themselves from the single-mindedly persistent and decidedly blowfell-esque Radcliffe. There's the usual rom-com business where the two fall for each other. Well, more like Sandy begins to appreciate Tatum. He had a bit of a thing for her from minute one. Amidst all the Uncharted-style jungle adventure, and a big metaphor about getting past grief and loss that parallels the titular Lost City treasure and Bullock's situation here. Amusingly, in retrospect, Quantum Leap lead Raymond Lee also cameos as one of the paperwork shuffling and typically disinterested and worthless cops they report the kidnapping to. 
It's actually loads of fun. And I, for one, walked away from this with some decidedly unexpected respect for Tatum for being willing to mock his own image and career so mercilessly. And perhaps even more so Radcliffe, who manages to move out of the Potter ghetto that comprised effectively his entire career to deliver an eyebrow-raisingly urbane and believable decadent of a villain here. Like the proposal, this one shows that even an aging and obviously somewhat embittered power player, Bullet can still deliver much of her earlier lovely, awkward, yet aggressive persona in yet another film that's both funny and, yeah, romantic in the end. Oh, no, I totally re- agree with you. I thought uh, Lost City was a lot of fun, surprisingly. Yeah. And with a capital S, surprisingly. Yeah, I wasn't expecting I'm it. like, uh, you know, everybody was involved with it. I was like, are you kidding me this is, <laughs> this is a lot of fun it is you know, it's like uh, I'm glad to see a movie like this being made mm-hmm. nowadays yeah yeah yeah, and again, when we get to Shotgun Wedding, you'll see something similar. Not as good, but same idea. <laughs> same. Uh, <laughs> so, 2022 Bullet Train, which I know you love. Yeah. Sandy is mostly relegated to voiceover calls to a post-Angie Brad Pitt, literally showing up in the final five minutes of the film to walk off into the sunset with him as he's the assassin and she's the handler he gets his jobs and intel from. Let's get right to the chase and skip all the unimportant bullshit here. You want to see a truly subversive film about Hitman that doubles as both rom-com and middle finger to mainstream, or what the counterculture used to call straight society? Watch Mr. and Mrs. Smith. It's one of wife and I's favorite films. You want to see a funny, subversive comedy about a serial killer in domestic situations? Try the John Waters' Serial Mom. This one, it just isn't funny or engaging, and every single person in this film is an irritating asshole. You'll hate the crack addict pace, the lame attempts at black humor, the unfunny, quirky characters. It's just, I don't know, it's just crap from minute one. It was an annoying watch even at high speed, particularly after shutting it off a half an hour in the first time I saw it when it came out, and then had to sit through again for the show. This director, David Leach, is the same asshole who took a truly fun and subversive superhero film, Deadpool, and turned it into a terrible and surprisingly unfunny ambisexual stinker of a sequel, which I really can't recommend in any way. Stick to the first one. He had nothing to do with that one, which is probably why it works. It's like a tournament nowadays for the absolute worst but inversely praised director with folks like the Daniels, John Chu, this clown, and literal dozens of other no-names coming out of the woodwork, dropping turds on the public and bizarrely getting praised by all comers for it. I said it before and I'll say it again. Everyone is either a paid liar or has taste out of their ass. What's wrong with people if they actually enjoy crap like this? And unfortunately, I think you loved it too. So what's your take on this? It's obviously very different. Nobody is paying. I know that. So I'm like, wow. Fuck you. Why do you like this? What's the deal? <laughs> I love this movie. Are you crazy? Oh, God, it was so annoying. No, no, it was good. It was good. You know, it's like, it's not supposed to be comedy. It's not supposed to be a black comedy. It's supposed to accept it as what it is. And, and what is it? <laughs> let it unfold upon you. Wow. I, I like the hell out of it. I watched it a couple of times, you know, and mm-hmm. I pushed it over to other other people. Not everybody. Look, I get it. Not everybody's going to go for this kind of uh, Brad Pitt as a different kind of character kind of thing. Oh, I had no and, problem with that. He was fine for what it is, but wow. I, you know what? I didn't even know it was. <laughs> I didn't even know it was our uh, Sandra Bullock. Same here. And my wife, too. I, I didn't think she recognized it, but I was like, Sandra Bullock's in this? Where? What was the last couple minutes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it was like, I was like, the whole movie, I'm like, who the hell is that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't know it was Sandra Bullock until the last few minutes, but it was Sandra Bullock. Yep. 
I like this movie. I, I really do. And I like movies that do something different. Yeah, you tend to like these dark, modern films that are like, you know, paced by a crackhead and, you know, really go to strange places. And this is definitely one of those. But, yeah, I just I couldn't find anything to like about it. But this is, this is what's going on, though. This is yeah, I know. You <laughs> the zeitgeist. Yeah. Action movies, you know, like the, the John Wick pictures. You're like, is this guy worked on the John Wick and the Matrix movies? So, yo, we're looking at a whole new aesthetic. Yeah, that's for sure. For action films. And I think it's what all done that? in post-editing or something because the pace is just crazy. The pace is crazy, yes. And I like how, I like how, <laughs> call me crazy or not, I like how I had no idea who... The guys who were supposed to be the brothers were yeah, in this yeah. film. And, you know, one of them was, like, so-and-so who was a Spider-Man. Who the fuck? Really? <laughs> I didn't even know that. I was just like, God, these guys are irritating. Yeah, yeah. One of the guys was a Spider-Man, and the other guy was, like, a well-known rapper. Yeah, the two British ones, right? Right, yeah. But the other guy was American doing a very good British accent. And they were brothers, and I'm, like, totally unaware, like, oh, Really? <laughs> so, you know, I, 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 I'm sorry, but for me, I kind of like it a lot. No, it's fine. I know you liked it. It's just like, it's just like we were talking about with the late cast, but I, I like that one for different reasons. It's like, what is it that you see here? Because I'm curious. I'm not like, okay, what are you, an idiot? It's not like, what do you see here? Because I'm not seeing it. No, no. But what the, what the late cast, the, the thing was, you know, with the late cast, it was like, uh, it's almost hard to describe. It's sort of like you're with someone mm-hmm. and you're meant to be with someone and it didn't happen and there's the option to be with them again. Yeah. Well, there you go. Benefit Mark 2. <laughs> Whatever it was. Mark 1, Mark 3. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just something like that. It's kind of like a hard to describe thing. Yeah. No, I get that. Like I said, was, my problem was it didn't make any sense and it didn't really work as a supernatural thing in the end because I thought that's what they were going. Like, okay, it's a Romeo and Juliet thing where she dies and they get reunited as ghosts or whatever, but that wasn't it. That wasn't what happened. No, but, that wasn't it. Yeah. But this one here is very different. She's like, I don't get it. It's just like that damn everything everywhere all at once. It was so depressing and then it was like cracked out like they were doing some kind of hard psychedelic drugs and like, what the hell? And that the that? message it's was like, nihilistic. It's like the whole world is worthless and it means nothing and existence means nothing. All we got is our families. I'm like, really? Right, right. What movie is that? Everything everywhere all at once. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Because the whole thing with the, with the everything being on shit, that's what that was. It was like, nothing matters. We, we're here for no fucking reason. Life sucks, but we've got family ties to keep us together. Oh, shit. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, because it's bullshit. It's a lie. Right. If I had to believe that, holy shit, I would have ended my life 40 years ago. Get out of here. <laughs> it's okay. We can discuss that. Anyway, that's our show, correct? Yeah. That's it. That's our show. So next time we will be talking a very similar in some ways, but very different in others, <laughs> career of Jennifer Lopez. <laughs> so, uh, like I said, thanks for joining us tonight. We hope you enjoy a little drawing room chat on Sandy Bullock. And if you'd like to contact us here, comments, suggestions, or you're a filmmaker or a musician who'd like to join us on the air, drop us a line at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash weirdscenes1, or our website, weirdscenes1.wordpress.com. We're also on Twitter at weirdscenes1. We're on Podbean, thirdeyecinema.podbean.com. We're also on iTunes. Uh, if you're particular, you can look us up under ID 55340244. We're also on Spotify 
and Amazon Podcasts and many other sources. Uh, just look us up under Third Eye Cinema, Weird Sins Inside the Goldmine Podcast, and you will find literally about 100 episodes of each of those two podcasts, plus some other things as well, I believe. So, anything else you want to close out on this time? Or? Well, thank you for listening. We appreciate you guys paying attention. We'll be back very shortly. Yes. All right. So, we will see you next time. All right. Have a good one. Hopefully, uh, well, I don't know how much more you got to do with that, but you know, hopefully all your tests continue to go well. And Thank you so much. As you can tell, I'm a little stressed out. Yeah, no, I heard it. It's, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I understand totally. I've been pretty stressed out myself, as you know. <laughs> yeah, I hear it. I hear it. Too, man. Yeah. I'll, I'll talk to you soon, brother. Yeah, take care. at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Tune in to Third Eye Cinema, your source for in-depth discussion of cult cinema with a focus on film that matters. Cult, grindhouse, drive-in, independent, and underground film from the dawn of the talkies through the early 90s. This is a forum where we explore genre film and music from around the world, in-depth conversation and career analysis with directors, actors, and musicians, and open discussion on films that matter, those that fall outside the mainstream corporate film by boardroom committee. These are the problems of the auteur, the visionary, the dreamer, the outsider. None of that direct that passes for mainstream film these days. This is all about the glory days of independent cinema from all over the world. Any of the hotbeds of obscure, oddball, or generally wild cinema available on DVD from the dawn of the medium to this very day. Join us as we delve deep into the cinematic netherworld here on Third Eye Cinema. Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. What is At Eye Level? A reductio ad absurd and look at the headlines politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of humor about life. 
Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. And try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network on Blog Talk Radio. Join us on Tuesday nights at 6.30 Eastern for an exploration of the many roads and methods which promise to lead us to the ultimate answer, a higher purpose, the meaning of life. I'm just like a lot of you, a middle-aged mom with piles of laundry and a meditation practice. I've been down many roads to get where I am today, and my journey is far from finished. But I'd like to share my experience and hard-earned wisdom with you. So what is it about women and spirituality? It seems like we're always the first to try out something new. Christianity was spread in large part by wealthy women. And where would Uncle Al be without a scarlet women? Who is by and far the largest audience of new age alternative spirituality? What is it about us that always has us seeking? And why does it always seem that men tend to take over what we discover? Join us for a dialogue between two long-lost friends representing both the yin and yang aspects of the whole, each of whom have traveled multifarious paths all across the spectrum of spirituality, the dark side and the light, from the organized to the out of the way. This show is for all those frustrated in their quest who've been through various stops on the spectrum of spirituality and found them ultimately unfulfilling. Join us for some hard-earned lessons and thoughts on potential new directions and possible value in what inevitably fails in organized practice, but which may have some merit to the solo practitioner, fellow seekers of truth, in this journey towards life. Moving towards life. Lessons in life and spirituality from an unconventional seeker. Bringing more to you, only here on the Big Papa Online Network. On Blog Talk Radio. Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Join us for Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell with Doc Savage, Lois Paul, myself. Discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult films, music, television, and more. We'll be covering classic films, shows, musicians, and literature of the past, with an eye towards what new visions may still arise from the soullessly derivative mire of our modern age. Tune in turn on and take a step outside the mainstream as we dig deep into the rich vein of cult cinema, music, and television right here on Weird Seats Inside the Gold Mine. Only here on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. Hello. Hello. How are you doing today? <laughs> we both had fun times recently. Yeah. How do I sound? You sound okay here. Okay, good. Do I sound okay? <laughs> no, no. I... I'm just because sometimes we have issues. Yeah, well, so far it sounds good. <laughs> yeah, it was like when I did that. I did those two Colors of Prague things on the same day, and I played back Tangerine Dream. And usually, Podbean fixes my audio issue a little bit. Right. But I still see how to turn it up. Not all the way, but quite a bit. So the second one, I realized that, so I fixed it. Except I never learned my lesson. I posted it on Saturday. Okay. Nobody looks at. It. <laughs> I hate that. It's like, okay, I finished something up. I got it done time for the weekend. You post it. Even on a Friday or whatever. No, nope, nobody cares. I'm like, God damn you. <laughs> I'm not going to finish everything in the middle of the week. Sometimes you do, but you know. The subscribe, the subscribers will catch it at some point. But yeah, you, yeah. But other people, you know, like, if I see only one or two people liked it, 
I'm like, that means nobody really saw it because it was my mistake. And I tell my wife this all the time, you know. She goes, why do you do two in one day? And I said, because it's exhausting. Put up that that new big, huge backdrop. Yeah. I mean, you're doing the video and everything else, but even just doing the reviews and stuff, it's like, I kind of rush through. I only get a couple hours. My wife's not here because I try not to do this shit when she's here. She's pissed off at me just backing things up with the computer and stuff for an hour or two when she's home anyway. So forget about if I was going to record or write stuff or, you know, do a podcast or whatever the hell. So I try to do that when she's gone, you know, because i got this little window of time when she's away. And, you know, <laughs> that kind of shit always happens. Like, forget about it. There's no way. So I've got to rush things out. Okay, well, I got it written. I got enough time, I think, to post it. You know, I'll go up there, to edit and put the pictures in, all that jazz, put the links in, get it up there, maybe, by the time she's home. And then i got to share it around all over social media. And it's like, Jesus, like, you know, I have no time. I just got to get through this stuff when I can so I can forget about it tomorrow or the weekend or whatever the hell it is and go on to something else. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, what, that was one of my other things last week. Face, first, I saw it on eBay. Oh, I Jesus. Looking, the I was the problem? Re- yeah, I was look, researching this band, and I couldn't tell if they actually released an album because they were indie. Right. I said, well, sometimes things pop up there. Couldn't get in. Mm-hmm. And at least they were the easiest. They said, you know, give us your phone number. So I type, is this not this phone number is not associated with this account? I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. But it took a few minutes, and I was able to do it. Somebody got back in over the weekend. So on Sunday, eBay emailed me, so I changed it yet again. Right. Then there was Netflix. We go to watch something, uh, was it, uh, I believe it was Friday night or Saturday night, and can't get into my account. You know, this is through the TV, through the app. Yeah. And I'm like, what? It's the same shit that happened to me back in October. I told you about that. Yeah, so I... Uh, you know, at least they have a customer service. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, some of them are good and some of them are awful. Yeah. And then uh, I said, let me do the chat thing. What the fuck? I know they're in Bamboozle, wherever the hell they are. <laughs> and she goes, what's your email? And I, I entered in the email I have since I started Netflix, since I started before they were streaming when we were getting discs. Remember those days? Oh, yeah, I used to do that. I was a big Netflix guy, man. She goes, I don't have an email listed or something. Oh, jeez. Yeah. What's your phone number? I said, sure. Yeah. Just give us the last four digits. No. Oh. I'm like, oh, man. They go in there and wipe it all out. Yeah. Yeah. And when I tried to get in before he did the chat thing, they were suggesting, well, would you like to create an account? No, I'm paying for this somewhere. Yeah. So they're pretty smart. She said, what's the last four digits of the card you're paying on? Mm-hmm. I said, ba, ba, ba. She goes, I found it. She goes, I'm resetting everything. I'm putting back your original account. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I finally associate. I could not for two days associate my phone number with Netflix, but now I did. So if there's an issue now, now, uh, now Facebook. <laughs> All right. So Facebook couldn't get in. Mm-hmm. Try, you know, how did I know? I go do my laundry, as you know, early in the morning on Saturdays. And I'm like, how do I kill time? I look at Facebook. Right. Can't get in. I'm like, wow. So I texted my wife. I said, this is weird. She goes, can you fix it? I said, no, I don't. I got to wait till I go home. I got to go on the computer. I can't do this from my phone. Yeah. Because it kept saying, we're going to send you a ping, but I never get it. Yes. Oh, yeah. I should tell you, just to interject for a second. Hold your thought. After what happened to you, I says, all right, you know, I got to use a secondary email to, because I know you said stuff about, you know, they went to your picture and all I was like, I don't have pictures. I can't get that social media stuff, you know, separate from the rest of my life. And <laughs> so I went, managed through a whole afternoon worth of fighting because everything with Facebook and, you know, whatever the hell else, they make it super stupid and complicated. It's like, 
okay, well, we're going to send an email to the email that, you know, if you got hacked, got hacked, so they can go and change everything on you. But otherwise, we have no way of contacting you. We have no way of setting everything up. And it's, it's a big, long fight just to go. And, oh, and that's another thing. If you try to change something like an email inside of that email, they won't let you do it. There's a separate link that nobody tells you about that takes you to somewhere else where you can go and manage your accounts, and then you can add things as you know, like a backup email kind of a thing. So what I did was I made sure at least I put in a backup email in case some jerk-off gets the one uh, you know, or hacks my account like crap to you. I can go in there and you know, it'll be, I'll know to be notified by one of those fucking accounts, and I can go and do something. Because they're talking about, like, oh, yeah, use an authenticator. One of the things they said was, we'll send you a text to your phone, put two-factor on. I did that, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to do these other things to add the emails, whatever. It says, okay, you know, uh, log in, do whatever. Okay, we're going to send you something, you know, a text to your phone. Nothing happened. I tried this several times over like a day or two. They don't send a fucking thing. Even though it has your number, it says it's going to send it to you. It doesn't. Facebook is I, shit. I, yeah, same thing here. Uh, yeah. Not to cut you off, same thing here. I actually was Googling what's authenticator mean. Like I'm getting uh-huh. everything else. If I, you know, if I go to get into a court, this is why I don't do banking on my phone. Oh, yeah, I got you. This is why I don't do lots of personal stuff. Like my, my new employer mm-hmm. wanted me to download this app called The Hub so we can communicate. Who fucking cares? Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm not putting that on my phone. What are you, crazy? <laughs> That's true. So, um, But, yeah, the, I, I looked into the Authenticator app thing, and that was chaos, too. Actually, after all the trouble I had just setting up this work? backup email, I got one that sounds like it's good. But it's more chaos. And my wife's like, you know what? Just Maybe we should just leave it be. with the- <laughs> Well, I, I, I tried repeatedly. Then I said, try again later. You tried too many times. I'm like, ah. mm-hmm. <laughs> So then I waited like, I don't know, four or five hours. Try again later. You tried too many times. Mm-hmm. Sunday. Try again. Uh, Sunday is when I fixed Netflix, too, because it took me a while to think about, you know, because you, you got medical stuff going on. I don't want to mm-hmm. be hit with everything at once. You exactly. Know? Well, that's always the way. Yeah. And and so I kept saying that. Finally, I got an email from them. Mm-hmm. They must have saw, like, well, maybe he's not a hacker. <laughs> and um, they said, send us a passport picture or a state ID. Mm-hmm. And if it matches the picture of you, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, it's me. Yeah. You know, it's me that, you know, I may, you know, me holding a drink, whatever. It's always yeah. a picture of me. Yeah. Very rarely it's not. Uh-huh. So I did. I upload. I download. Uh, downloaded it. Made it clear. I sent it to them. I said it might take a uh, day. I'm like, all right, whatever. Mm-hmm. They sent me an email within a few hours with a special code. Yeah. They said follow these instructions. Just click on your picture. You don't have to do anything. I'm like, great. Works on my phone. Works yeah. on my desktop. Okay. I got signed out of my iPad. Mm-hmm. Go to sign in on my iPad. It will not sign in. I said, you know what? I don't need to use my iPad anymore for this. this yeah, is they're kind of out of date at this point anyway. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I don't need to deal with this anymore. Yeah. But yesterday, you know, I'm smart. I'm not stupid. Mm-hmm. And I figure I'm back on. I like a few posts. I have a lot of friends. Some of the stuff is really cool. Some of the stuff, you know, everybody's losing cats here in the air. You know, mm-hmm. I feel bad. As you know, Tim Lucas and a couple other people. And yeah, I got a couple other friends too. And, you know, you know, like you send her an emoji or say my condolences. That's all I did, really. Except post those two videos and the video from that crazy movie we saw on Netflix. Now that okay. it's working. Maybe it was too violent. I yeah, don't they know. banned you for it or something? Well, it said you're, you you have uh, offended community standards. You cannot use it for 12 hours, but they don't tell you why. Yeah, yeah. Trying to contact them is nearly impossible at this point. Mm. So I'm like, okay, I'm laying off. <laughs> and I said to Rhoda, 
maybe that thing was too violent, but everybody's, you know, I'm seeing, make them die slowly trailers. And you even warned everybody, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, it might not be safe for work kind of thing, you know, if you're ready for something kind of brutal here, but it's cool, check this out. Otherwise, you know, you may want to avoid it. So I saw that right away, and I'm like, okay, I'm not even going to look at it. Who cares? <laughs> no, it's really good. It's really good, but I'm not going to go there. Should we get back? Mm. It's but, a yeah. really amazing film. I didn't know what to expect. I'm like, oh, my God. But, yeah, this is the same kind of shit that I went through. <laughs> I don't know how to get the authenticated thing to work. I, I just I, I Google it many times, and I'm like, where do I find this? <laughs> it seemed like a pain. Oh, no, you go through uh, the Google Play Store, and you should check out not just reviews, but, you know, like CNET and all kind of things. Just just see what you think about it. There are a couple that are very highly recommended and presumably very safe. I just, you know, it, it, was, a, it was a lot of work just to get where I got to, which surprised the hell out of me, you know, with all these emails saying, oh, you know, don't do this, don't do that, we can't do this, who are you? What? You know, so it, literally an afternoon and I'm struggling. Everything's hidden. That was another thing with Facebook. I was looking at, okay, I'll be able to change things better on the laptop than I can on the phone, right? You would think. No. It was like everything was hidden in different spots. I'm looking online. Okay, yeah, go here, go there, go somewhere else. But you can only get these things through the mobile and not through the other way. And they put them in two different spots completely to find the same thing of settings where you can go and like add things or remove things or whatever the hell else. I'm like, who the fuck designs it? It was just like, why are you putting, you know, everywhere you go is completely different, different nomenclature, different places you're finding them, different cookie trails. I'm like, who's writing this? And, you know, it's obviously by interns that are just coming out of school that are a little like tech heads and they think, ha, 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 we know what we're doing. Nobody that's not an insider in your fucking company can find any of this shit to do anything. Why do you think this is good? Are you crazy? But I got banned again today. Did you really? Yeah, For I what? didn't do anything since yesterday. Hello? Yeah. So I go to like uh, like a friend's post from yesterday because I wanted to keep it on the DL and yeah. not go crazy. Yeah. You're banned for 24 hours. <sighs> I found a thing where I can comment to them. Yeah, no, I've done that before. I said, yeah. you guys know I was hacked last weekend. Yeah. I just got back, I, as you could tell, and I look. I was able to look at my notifications, things I did. Yeah. I liked posts. I, I'm like, in, in case I was hacked, did somebody like try to friend four thousand people? Yeah, yeah. I put like porn up with all kind of shit. You know, they're crazy. They're always trying to hack. I didn't people. see anything like that, and I said, "You guys got to take a look at this because you keep restricting my account. First is twelve hours. Now it's an additional twenty-four, and I don't know." Why? I told you back in fall, I, I got just banned like I don't know how many times, and every time it was more. I was like, okay, for a couple hours, for a day, for a week, for 30 days, you can still do stuff. It's just like less people responding, or they'll see it a couple days later. But I'm like, why do I keep getting banned? Basically, uh, every time. They won't let me do anything. Yeah, basically, everything was all like, you know, they didn't like me going and criticizing Trump or whoever the fuck's out there, you know. Whoever the malfeasance on the Republican Party was this week. Like, oh no, we can't do that. But they can say all kinds of shit about like him threatening. Alvin Bragg, you know, killing them and shit like that. It's no problem. <laughs> yeah, I can't even like. Well, here's what I can do. I can't like, dislike any of those things. Right, I remember that. I can't comment. Right. Well, I can and, comment, but they couldn't see it, or only one person could see it. I don't know what the deal was. Yeah. But now I can't, I can't do nothing, so I can look. Okay. But it's like, you know, it makes me feel a little like, you know, Oh, it's, you know, if it's somebody I know, I want to wish him happy, but I can't yeah. do that either. You know, like, all right. Fuck it. It's the strip bar rules. You can look, but you can't touch. <laughs> and that is the medical stuff, which has oh, been God. an honor. You know, you got oh, trust me. Going on well, not what you've got. That's nothing like that. But, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. You know, I'm look. okay, we're looking for, you know, we got job shit going on. We got medical stuff going on. We got life stuff going on. And in the meantime, we're trying to run, you know, two different sites each and podcasts and whatever the hell else. And... You know, these people just, like, keep fucking with you for no reason. And I'm hearing it happen to a lot of people recently. Apparently, these fucks are out in Forza. I mean, 
you know, like the scam that you got caught with, and uh, whatever the hell happened to me. And it's actually since when that when this thing started happening to like the versus girl I know, and then me, and then I think Tim Lucas, and then you, and then it, this all started like around last August. So some for some reason last August everything just went right down the window. I don't know what the fuck's going on out there, but everybody went nuts. And there's a campaign out there because they actually said it's like a ring doing this stuff of just I don't know. It must be the Russians preparing for the next election so they could try to get Trump in for overthrow our country. I don't know what's going on. It's almost like that bad. It's like, okay, well, let's see. I've got about, literally at this point, five people I know, including myself, who have gotten hacked for one reason or another over the last, you know, six to eight months. All of a sudden, people who haven't, you know, I've always been super careful online. Other people I know have been pretty damn careful themselves. It's like, not where you, you know, you want to porn sites and go, whatever people do. You know, we're fine. We're good with the shit. And yet, somehow we all got hacked. All of a sudden. I was like, really? What's what's up here? This is, you know, it goes beyond conspiracy theory. There's, there's something going on. No, oh, in a weekly run, the... Uh, oh, the virus you know, scans? Yeah, I do that shit, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and well, anyway... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right after all that shit. <laughs> anyway, after all that, you know, like I told you before, I think I did, my, my company was Pac-Man by another company. And yes, you mentioned that. They gave us... Less than a week's notice. Oh, You're changing from uh, U.S. healthcare, which is okay, to Aetna, which sucks. Yes, it does. I've been on that for years. Well, there's no now. choice. Yeah, when I looked on the thing, it was like three versions of Aetna, four versions of Aetna. It was like the cheap, you're a junkie, you're not getting anything. Or, right. Or you're, why work? Because everything is going to them. Yeah, so that's like, true. Uh, I'm like, oh, pick the middle. Yeah, what they're trying to do a lot of times with these companies, and that was happening to mine at the end, was they're trying to shove you all on their own shitty plan, which is basically, we don't pay you a goddamn thing, we just give you a tax break. They're going to put some money aside so you can go and have that, you know, 2000 bucks tax-free to use for your own medical bills. Like, that doesn't take you very far. Well, my, my U.S. healthcare dental was at least 1500 There's top that one. Down. Yeah. And they, they also like to push everybody out to the exchange now because of you know, Obamacare, which sucks, by the way. You know, it's, it's a really crappy thing. The idea was supposed to be single payer, but now they're like, oh, here, just go out here and pay, you know, 50 bucks and get nothing to like 200 bucks a month, which nobody can fucking afford. Well, nope. even U.S. healthcare. So my whole thing was, all right, I got until the end of March, which is coming. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try to see as many doctors under that plan. Yeah, good idea. So I picked all the doctors, and I went blood work, and they weren't sure, and I had to go back a few days later and get the same blood work done. Mm-hmm. I said, you know, by the way, I fasted. Okay. You know, you're supposed to. I said, but nobody told me I was supposed to. You didn't tell me I was going to do blood work. You said you wanted to see me to discuss my last blood work. Right. But I fasted, and it's now 1 o'clock in the afternoon, oh, and now I'm like, tired and weak. Mm-hmm. Hungry <laughs> shit, right? I, I need a beer. I <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a joke, but they're like looking at you. Like, I, I'm not kidding. I haven't eaten since last night. This is crazy. You know? Yeah. Did you drink water? Yes, I did, because I have to take a lot of pills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I got the results back from that. Nothing terrible. Mm-hmm. Plus, everything's on the edge of something, so there's nothing major there. And he goes, "I'm going to prescribe medicinal fish oil for you, though. You need to, because whatever I'm low in." Yeah. He said that. I said, all right, go ahead. That's usually somewhere for vitamin E, but it's also to clear up cholesterol and you know that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's good. It's good stuff. Fine. When I get the stall bought, it really disagreed with my stomach, but whatever he, as I said, the prescription strength, yeah. it didn't really mess with me too much. So I got that. Then I had to go for my CAT scan mm-hmm. because he said, well, if you're 60 and older, because remember, I'm a new patient with this guy. Mm-hmm. If you're 60 and older and you're a smoker, you know, there's new regulations out there. There are. There probably are. Probably are. Who knows? And 
you know, lung thing, and they keep repeatedly saying that they send you these emails through your health, you know, through your, your NYU. Why are you getting this? I don't know. He ordered this test. <laughs> <laughs> so I go there, and you know what? My For the first time in a long time, my sciatic was killing me after that mm-hmm. because they make you lie down in this thing, and you go through this tube. Uh-huh. I thought the last time I had a uh, CAT scan, it was in my abdomen because I had some pain there about six years ago. Yeah. And they just thought they just ascertained it was like a fatty tissue. Yeah. I was worried it was getting another hernia, you know. Right. So so I had my hands by my side, and they said, no, you know, your hand, your arms will hit the thing going through the tube. I'm like, where do I put them? Over your head. Yes. Oh, you know, I got that problem with my shoulder, the rotator cuff, right? Right. So, did I tell you about that? No. I had a double MRI thing, so I got two things going on, both, you know, related to pains. And this one here I knew about for years, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And it got to the point where I'm like, I'm trouble opening fucking doors. I used to be a bodybuilder, and I can't open the fucking door. Plus, I want to get back to bodybuilding. I actually got on a kick lately. But I can't really do anything much because of the arm. So sure. I'm like, all right, fine, let me go get this looked into. We're going through all this shit. And long story, but, you know, all that stuff. But the last time, you know, maybe about a week or two back, like, okay, finally we're going to give you an MRI. Right? Cause they already did the x-rays, they did some physical therapy, they did whatever the hell. See, doctor visits. Okay. It's, it's all because the insurance is cheap. They won't let you do it all at once. Mm. So they put me in a damn MRI. What's the first thing this motherfucker does? He puts me in with my bad arm, not even both arms, my bad arm over my head, and leaves me there for literally, I had me 45 minutes, but because oh. of the pain and being inside this coffin, you know, essentially, and you know, I'm trying to keep my eyes closed, and I'm like doing like conscious like yoga, trying to like calm my breaths and all this kind of shit. No, I was like, I'm totally freaking out at one point, and I was like, you know, nobody's going to help me out. They give you this stupid little thing to squeeze. Oh, yeah, you know, squeeze that if you're, like, having trouble, and I'll come in because you got claustrophobia or whatever. And I'm like, there's no point because all it's going to do is stop it and prolong this. So I'm just laying there like, nobody's going to save you. Nobody's going to do anything. It was like being in Gitmo or something or, like, a Vietnamese POW camp. I was in so much fucking pain and 45 minutes picture like the time that feels like because every minute's like an hour like oh my god and then they had to do it again for the other body part thankfully that was a lot shorter that was but still and it also turned my direction so for some reason that was just easier because i guess you see the light coming through or whatever unless my body was in the coffin part but holy shit so much pain i literally had to go and take my arm and pull it down with my other arm because it was locked in position it's like mm. holy shit man what are you doing to me and he's like okay well now we're ready for the other one like, you're gonna do, do another one really <laughs> so yeah, yeah i know I, what that's like i got off that table i was like oh are you okay do you need help i'm like no i'm all, I'm all right yeah i had trouble getting up too <laughs> and nyu langone is at the end of the world mm-hmm. first the avenue of 30th street after that you got water mm-hmm. you know and it, the, the nearest train is on, like, Lexington. That's, like, five avenues away. Oh, That's like, right. You have to oh. walk across the city, Jesus. I was so energetic when I got there. Going home, I was like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, I thought, though, I had problems, you know, while you're sitting in the in a, in a room waiting. Yeah. Seeing this uh, woman, nice chatty woman. I said, where do you live? Oh, Jersey City. Mm-hmm. Oh, I live in Brooklyn now. I used to live in Jersey City. Where do you live? Are you kidding me? I live a really nice person. I really would like to get to know her. And I said, so you're here for a CAT scan, I see. Mm. Yes, I've had cancer twice. I'm like, oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. So sorry. Yeah. You know, they just want me to go through all this stuff. I said, no, they want me to do colonoscopy. I hate that. I did that yesterday. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. And I'm starting to think, you know, I'm starting to think I'm, I'm not making light of her. And then it was an Asian woman that came and sat down next to me. She goes, 
she also was chatty, which is rather surprising. I guess we're all just like nervous because what you're there for. And we're deciding we're we're all cool people. Yeah. Uh She goes, oh, I had mine yesterday. Do you know it's different now? I'm like, what do you mean? I just picked up the liquid bottle that I have to drink. How much water can you drink? She goes, oh, now they just give you pills. I I wish my doctor gave me just pills. (laughs) You know, laxative. I wish my doctor just gave me pills. Like, you know, they want There's no way you could drink that much shit. (laughs) I don't know. I drink a hell of a lot every day. I'm still drinking my coffee from this morning. But, yeah. Yeah, and, you probably know, my fourth cup, <laughs> maybe fifth. Yeah, I don't know what happened to those people when they came out. I was going to say bye, but, you know, they call your name like, let's go now. Come on. Jeez, oh, yeah. No, this medical stuff sucks. I mean, and again, like, mine's not the serious, like, what yours has been going through, but Jesus. Yeah, I got the results, which I apparently saw before my doctor. Mm-hmm. And uh, they said there was no uh, C cells, you know, there was nothing there. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's calcification yeah. by the heart. Which I told I told my previous doctor about that because I had it written down when I took an X-ray from my sciatic and they saw that. Yeah. So he probably wants to discuss that. Right. So like all right. So he wants to make another appointment. I'm like I'm not going back there. Are you fucking kidding? Well, I think well I don't know for sure, but I think all they got to do with that is loosen that shit up and get it to break itself up. So I mean I'm saying drink some olive oil. You know, get it on a regular. Yeah, yeah you mentioned that. So but uh, my option this time was a video chat. Okay. So I took that. So I'll be for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as you can see, it, it's so much shit going on at once. Yeah. And it's all scary. <laughs> and then my employer mm-hmm. sent the thing on Thursday night because Friday I had to go into the city and deal with all this Thursday night saying, um, get from United Healthcare your, your uh, what's a benefit, uh, explanation of benefits. Yes. Yeah. And download that. Send it to us by tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> so I spent the weekend. Also dealing with that. Oh, I'm on the I'm on the website and like I can't find this. Yeah. Chat person. It's there. Where? Where is it? Yeah. I, I gave up yes uh, I gave up Saturday. Like I said, they hide everything and it's ridiculous. It's like, okay, well I've been through this stuff, I worked in IT, I know where they hide things usually. Yeah. No, they're hiding them in other spots. And like or you guys have like like with Outlook, you gotta have a separate link that has nothing to do with the site to get you to the other site where you can find it. Like, and what? I tried to Google United Healthcare explanation of benefits and mm-hmm. I don't want to give them my complete claims. Of course not, not online. Crazy. So um I found it just by chance. Right. Downloaded it. Went back into my new company secret Microsoft 365 special thingy. Yeah. Sent it to the person they sent it to. They told me to. Right. And it came back undeliverable. <clears throat> oh my God. So I copied that. I did a screenshot. Sent it to the HR person. And said hello. I know this is time sensitive, but <laughs> the site is down. Right. And she goes, oh, my, dot, 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 sigh. We've been having problems. <laughs> you have a time-sensitive issue. You tell all your employees this is time-sensitive, and you fucking notice it's happening? You don't even want to know. Like I said, I used to work in IT. and or, But they used to call it the helpless desk, and that pissed everybody off because the entire company knew about this. Like, you know, the higher-ups were like, oh, no, don't want me to call it the helpless desk in front of us. Yeah. Well, that was it. It was always the same kind of shit. Oh, yeah, we know there's a problem, but... Wait a minute, you just said we have to do this right away. It's really important. We can't go through like the next day without getting this in, otherwise we lose all our benefits or whatever the hell. Or or we can't get in and do our work all day. Oh yeah, well sorry. Um here, let me connect you with this other fellow in India or whatever. Oh wait a minute, what about you guys on site? And the guy in India can't help you either because he didn't even know what the hell's going on. Like, huh, what? Where are you guys? What? Like, oh my and I, and I and I got into their hub in quotations mm-hmm. that they've been really promoting. Got to join the hub. I'm like, fucking okay. I finally figured it out. 
after a week. Because they didn't give you a link. Yep, yep. There was just a blue box that said, join me. I'm like, is this it? I'm telling you, this is what I said to my wife the other day. These are all college interns. They're getting in. They're not being fucking paid, or they're paid like you know twenty-two thousand a year or something. And they come in. They're like, "Oh yeah, we know how to do this because we've been like hacking all our freaking teenage lives." Like uh, the rest of us don't know that. Even if we're like experienced in IT shit, we don't know this. There's no way you could know this unless we're an insider or a fucking hacker. You know, why do you guys hide this shit like this? It's unbelievable. And they do it for everything, even job searches and everything. They try to hide everything. Like, come on. Grow up. Do you have a little bit of user-facing, you know, customer-facing, user-friendliness? Jesus. <laughs> you know, there's, there's something to be said for this thing that, you know, the rumors of, and it, it won't come to be because there are just billions of people on Facebook. Yeah. But when there was a mention of Meta, like, if you want extra juicy stuff, you know, mm-hmm. we'll charge you like like Netflix, $10 a month, you know, to so use Facebook. But there's something to be said for that because if you have a card associated with that, getting Getting your identity hacked is one thing, but they're going to have that card on your on your account. Bingo, yep. <laughs> so, you know. I used to have accounts set up, like when I ordered from various sites or whatever. Now, I refuse to do that. I'm just like, no, I'm a guest. I'm going through, like, whatever, PayPal or something. And that way I can at least monitor all that shit and I get pings. And I don't want these strange fucking sites having all my information. Screw you. <laughs> I mean, come on, especially after all, you know, the fact that I got hacked after it was been 30 years online or whatever the hell. Jesus, I met my wife online. That's how long ago this stuff runs. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. We've it's been first time I've ever been show. hacked. We've been doing this show, what, a hiatus of like a year and some months? Yeah, all of them, but like I said, for double that time and some, you know, like two and a half and times some. that. That's yeah. how long I've been online, and I, it's the first time I've ever gotten hacked. I'm like, really? What's going on here? Come on, I'm not stupid. I got hacked before, but not this badly across the three majors, but not this badly on Facebook. Yeah. My wife's the only one who ever got hacked before, and that was because of, like, believe it or not, it was some major chain, like, I don't know, Target or Walmart, one of those fucking places, mm-hmm. and they got hacked. So, therefore, like, oh, you know, your information might have been compromised. They don't know for sure, but they're like, you know, they, there's a user database or something. So, we think that she might have been, and we went and did the usual stuff with the credit freezes on it, checked it all out, and everything seems to be fine. I suppose that was years ago. But this was the first time I ever got hacked. So it's like, I'm not an idiot. I don't do stupid shit, or I try not to. I try to limit mm. it. And yet they're hacking me, and they hack friends of mine, and they, and they hack, you know, obviously you, and they hack people that I know. It's like, why is this happening all of a sudden? And why is everything so fucking difficult to correct? I mean, come on. Yeah, it should be a lot easier to fix. I actually, and then we'll go, and then we'll, you can listen, and then we'll do the show. Yeah. My last word is, uh, I was like, hey, is there another me out there? I know it's impossible. But... <laughs> But I, I searched my name because I was looking for my fucking picture or another picture of me, but mm-hmm. I didn't see it, you know? Right. Just in case. You know? Yeah, no, I hear you. Well, did you see uh, the person that we were going to have on our show got her pictures stolen for a fake person on Facebook? Yes. <laughs> so that's even out there. So now it is, if you put your stuff out there anywhere, somebody is going to steal it, which happened to me with some of my work. I know that for a fact. And I no longer even get referenced. I used to at least get referenced on Wikipedia and stuff like that or wherever they did their stuff. Now they're mm. no longer doing it. They just claim it's like, yeah, this is my work somehow, which is ridiculous because my voice is very idiosyncratic. Nobody can replicate it, honestly, in, in all objectivity. I'm very unique with the way I write and the way I speak. So... That's happening, but yet she has a whole bunch of pictures of herself just, you know, over the years, and these people took it to make one of those stupid fake accounts they used to hack other people. You know, oh, look, this is... Did you ever see the Sandra Bullock deepfakes on X Hamster? No, I didn't. They were good. <laughs> they were really... I mean, I was like, wow. Yeah. I'm just <laughs> but, hoping, actually, aside no, from all this... No, they cleaned that up. Those guys are better than Facebook. <laughs> 
Oh, I saw a deep fake they did with a Trump thing. Did you see that on the news? They have these things where he's, like, getting arrested and people are beating on him and all stuff. He's, like, defiant. It's all complete bullshit. They just, like, put pictures together and stuck his face on, like, who knows, Nelson Mandela or something. Really? (laughs) No, this was, you know, for a while there was, you know, somebody was deep faking a bunch of actresses. It was about two years ago. And they were, like, ex-videos and ex-hamster. I'm, like, some of them were, like, that's good. (laughs) I mean, not, not... not in a sleazy way. I'm like, just artistically, it's like, fuck. Yeah, it's actually know. scary what this stuff goes on. I see a lot of people, I know a lot of people but, that are teachers in their day jobs, yeah. and they're talking about that stupid AI program, all kids are turning all those fake AI writing assignments. It's like, hey, you can tell because it's so generically bland. You know, the way the writing style is just like wrong. You can see it yeah. right away. But, you know, but, this is bad. We're really getting into crazy territory. But the, the, X, the X-rated uh, sites have... <laughs> They're afraid. They, they don't want to get fucking sued into oblivion. So they they have they 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 probably hire really good people. Like look for this stuff. Make sure yeah. it doesn't go up. You know. So I hope you can't hear all this shit here because, like I said before, we got online. This guy upstairs back to his old tricks. Bless him. No, I hear fucking... nothing. Oh, good. Because it's it's like I'm in the projects here. Just blessing all this shit. Like I'm about to get you know, a home invasion or something. So, <laughs> oh my god. Well, like I text you. Uh... Yeah, about you, you went upstairs, blowing the power out in the building. <laughs> but it's so loud. Yeah, yeah, it was like uh, about two weeks. Well, thank you. I, this is a bigger and building. My so. wife, who I really see, I told her about. It. She goes, "Oh, I'm like, <laughs> do you know what it's like to sit here working from home and yeah." Unfortunately, I've been dealing with that for six months or eight months now because my I think computer they back went off, the lights went off, all the power went off, the fridge went off, and then it came back on. My like wife comes out? home. Yeah. No, and I'm like, you hear it in the elevators. It's that bad on different floors. I'm like, come on. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. The whole floor was shaking. And the I walls. don't know. I don't know if they blasted because, like, they're fucking. No. No. I, see, we think the ones upstairs are definitely some kind of hardcore druggies because, and I don't mean, like, smoking weed or something because they used to play this bad trance music that was, like, it wasn't even music. And it would just repeat and repeat and repeat. And we know, like, 20 minutes later, the song is ended, and I'm hearing the exact same loop again and again. They even had TV loops that were just playing over and over and over oh. and over. I'm like, what the fuck? It, yeah, and super loud. Like I said, it was shaking the walls and all night long and early in the morning. I'm like, what's wrong with these fucking people? So, you know, we got the management to shut them down. They actually, it got to the point where they had to find them, and they stopped for a couple of months. So you right? complained again today? I did, right before we got on. So I was saying, when, when you asked me if you want to get on, I'm like, hold oh. on, I'm in the middle of sending an email to the management company. Because now they're trying to be safe. They're just testing the waters because the weather changed. And they started doing it. And beginning, it was low. And it was only in the afternoon. It was only for a couple of hours. And it would stop by 5. I'm like, eh, you know, it's not so bad. I hear it, but it's not annoying. But that's you know, annoying. No, now it's, it's starting to get really annoying. And Friday was super loud. Today is pretty damn loud. So I'm wondering if it's coming out in the recording. I'm like, all right, this is they, they're testing the waters here, and we got to nip it in the bud. So do what you yeah, got to no, do, people. I don't hear anything on your radio. Thank God. All right. <laughs> the light jazz in the background, but it's way oh, no, no. So, but if you hear it, let me know. I'll shut it off. No, I don't hear anything at this point. All, all right, right. So listen and test us out, and we'll get rolling hopefully. Okay. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. Lots yeah. to catch up on. That's, That's right. it. It's been a while. All right. All right. Here we go. Yeah, I don't know why it's on both our ends. Usually it's me. It's <laughs> our monsters who can hear Sandra Bullock. Um, I like this movie. I, I really do. I like movies that do something different. 